0: It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 Yards Away. Win this game for one another. The Final Drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The Final Final Drive, drive. live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the sound of mobile app i cannot believe it
1: welcome to the final drive here on wnsp 105.5 corey labounty along with michael brauner taking your telephone calls at 251-694-1055 and you can always Hit us up in the app. We always love to get back with you and communicate with you that way as well. And, of course, a lot of things going on in regards to the NBA play-in games tonight. Hawks versus Heat. Timberwolves versus Lakers. And the Timberwolves playing without Rudy Gobert, who was punching one of his teammates. And, obviously, Michael, they have a punching problem. Jaden McDaniels. He broke his hand or has a fracture in his hand, punching a wall out of frustration. So I think the Timberwolves need a little bit of anger management, but we'll talk a little bit about that today. And of course, Mobile, Alabama's own DeMarcus Cousins. He is an Olympic gold medalist. Well, he's going to be signing with the Guanabo Mets of the Puerto Rican Professional Basketball League. DeMarcus only 32 years of age, and we'll talk about that later on as well, but of course, this time of year, always spring football and Alabama football, Auburn just wrapped up their A-Day game. And we have one of Alabama's defensive backs, Terrion Arnold. And this young man said this secondary can change how games are played and wants teams to be scared. And he wants to redefine the standard of Alabama's defense that only gave up 18.2 points per game but gave up the most points since the early 1900s 52 giving up against Tennessee and Terry on Arnold Michael Brauner had a lot to say
2: yeah uh, I mean the 18 points a game when you look at it on the surface level sounds pretty good but I, I think most people would be in agreement that the defense, especially for what the talent was on paper for the conversation we had, we the conversations we would have going into the season about, could this be the best Alabama defense Nick Saban has ever had, yada, yada, yada. It wasn't up to the standard. It wasn't even close, quite frankly. Uh, you give up 52 to Tennessee. You give up 32 to LSU. And uh, ultimately, your two losses were because of the defense. Not that... Bryce Young lit the world on fire in Baton Rouge like he did in Knoxville, but ultimately the defense you had a lead in the fourth quarter, and the defense was pretty much hopeless against Jaden Daniels. So uh as for Terrian Arnold, well, uh I, I, I guess it's encouraging. I, I think you gotta take all these spring quotes with, with a big old grain of salt. It, it's encouraging, I guess. Uh Terrian Arnold, it's interesting to hear him specifically say I mean, he was a guy who was really in a starting role at the start of last season. And then as Eli Ricks kind of worked his way out of the doghouse, Terry and Arnold kind of started to see less time. And obviously Kool-Aid stayed on the field the entire season, rightfully so. He was arguably the best player on the defense and arguably still is. Uh, But that being said, Arnold was kind of, you know, on the field, off the field, on the field, off the field, uh, you know, I know he said something along the lines of he got thrown into the fire a little bit and and got for in a way that's the only way you're going to learn. Uh, so I should hope he's gotten a lot better. I should hope the defense is going to be a lot better because obviously uh, the product was simply not good enough. I mean, we talked about Pete Golding yesterday, whether that's a factor and and Kevin Steele is going to get them back to playing defense at a high level. You know, personally, I I don't know how much Kevin Steele. Improves things from a schematic standpoint over Pete Golding, but I I mean, I think the report at, right after the season was that Nick Saban was going to be personally coaching the DBs again this year. Whatever that means, I don't really know, uh, but we'll see. Uh, I think there is, again, a lot to be excited about on paper with this defense, so we'll see if uh, they live up to it. Well, I, I think that any time you start having quotes that are given by the media,
1: Of course, you mentioned he started six of the season's first seven games and was replaced by Eli Ricks. A new defensive coordinator in place, of course, Kevin Steele. He'll be making his way down to Mobile, Alabama to talk at the Team Focus Banquet. Along with Coach Harbaugh, the head coach of the Baltimore Ravens, it's it, it'll electric be
2: duo right there. It, it Har- is Harbaugh and Steel,
1: and, and when you have them coming back to give to a great cause, that's outstanding. As I know, Joe Godfrey was on with Lee Shavania this morning, but at the same time, you, you have to be careful with those quotes saying that you know feels like it's going to be one of the great defensive defenses of all time. I, I don't know. If you're putting your foot in mouth early, yeah, because that's... I know iron sharpens iron, and you're going the best against best. But to be one of the best Alabama defensive ever, that's everybody wants to be great, right? Yeah. And especially Alabama having a decade dominance defensively. But to say that you want to be a part of that, will the new defensive coordinator change that for Alabama? I think we talked a little bit about that. But Terry on Arnold, when you find yourself From a corner position, and you found yourself on the bench, coming off of the bench now, being replaced by Eli Ricks, that's strong
2: talk. And and – you do have to understand it's not like Terry and Arnold is, you know, they're putting him on the podium and he's being asked, what is the potential of this defense? What's he going to say? Like, oh, we're going to be OK. So I, I, I understand. You do have to consider it from that perspective a little bit. Let's, uh, you know, let's understand that. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, these are certainly the quotes that if you don't live up to that uh, come a year from now or, or, you know, 10 months from now, whatever it is. Get thrown back in your face. Uh, heck, I remember for, uh, even myself. Like, I, I wrote an article on WNSP.com probably around this time, maybe a month or two later, uh, last year, where. I said, you know, is this Alabama defense going to be Nick Saban's best ever? Because it really did feel that way. Uh, At least with the talent they had, uh, we knew what they were bringing back with Will Anderson and Dallas Turner, uh, pass rushing-wise. Will Anderson and Dallas Turner disappeared in the biggest games. That's just the reality of what the Alabama defense was this year, and it stinks to say that because I do still think that Will Anderson is one of the best defensive players to ever play at Alabama, but... I mean, in 2022, he disappeared in the big games. You can't, you can't deny that. So um, I, I think that on paper, you'd probably say at this point in the year, last year's defense looked better than this year's defense. But as we saw, doesn't really matter what it looks like on paper, does it? But of
1: Alabama's players who de- departed for the NFL, yeah. Jordan Battle, DeMarco Hellams, yeah. Brian Branch, and Eli Ricks and Will Anderson, no, as far as from a defensive back position. Oh, okay, yeah, go so ahead. so when you have those defensive backs, yeah. and you're battling against those defensive backs, which one was the alpha dog? Which one Brian will Brant. wind up being the first defensive back taken off Br- of the board in the NFL draft? Brian,
2: Brian Branch, Uh with without a doubt, there. I think Brian Branch is going to be a spectacular NFL player. Uh he can play box safety. He can play in this. He can play slot corner. He's. uh I, I think in the NFL in general there's been a lot of there's been a revolution where these chess piece guys that can play multiple positions in the secondary are highly valued uh battle I think battle kind of in terms of NFL stock he kind of leveled off as his Alabama career went on Helms kind of had a lot of hype going into into his senior year this season and I mean, I don't, I don't want to rip on him, but he, Helens was not very good this
1: year. Well, I mean, uh, it is what it is. He, if, if he was horrible, he was horrible. he, he was not he didn't get, it done, he was he didn't
2: get it done. Atrocious against Tennessee, which a lot of people were atrocious against Tennessee. I mean, Jalen Hyatt. Jalen Hyatt probably, uh, you know, he he still haunts the nightmares of Demarco Yeah, he as as he should. But again, you know, you got to ask yourself at what point did Nick could Nick Saban have made an adjustment or two to figure out uh, the Jalen Hyatt get open deep play? Uh, that was oh my god, I'm reliving bad memories. But anyway, no, I mean Demarco Helms. I we I remember talking to Jim Nagy at the start of last football season, and he said a lot of scouts had Helms. Ranked higher than Jordan Battle going into the season. And so, Helm's obviously struggled. Battle didn't have a great season. He was okay. Uh, Branch is, is, is certainly the one. Uh, Eli Ricks will be like a second-round pick. Uh, obviously, you know, he didn't start the first half of the season and it wasn't a talent issue. I think it was didn't know the playbook, and he had some legal issues at as, as, as the start of his time at Alabama. So I think he kind of just started his Alabama time in the doghouse a little bit, and it took him a while to work his way out, whether he wasn't practicing well. That was a theory people were throwing around. So I'm not exactly sure what the deal was with Eli Ricks. He certainly is a very, very, very talented football player. But in, in terms of when you ask me who the best. And, yeah, who's the alpha dog uh, out of those? it's Brian Branch it's not it's not even remotely close I think Brian Branch got so much better as his career went on that's why Malachi Moore I mean he was a stud as a freshman and then by by this point we're talking about oh like is Malachi Moore gonna work his way back into uh, back into the rotation at safety this year it's because Brian Branch was that good I mean the bowl game against Kansas State he was spectacular Brian Branch found a way to play his best games in the biggest moments too Uh, that guy is going to be a really good NFL player i'm very confident in that but for the alabama crimson
1: tide will it have a true freshman being the alpha dog of the secondary and that's the biggest question because to me sometimes not too many times does a freshman come in with as much swagger uh again you look at Will Anderson Jr. earning his stripes as a freshman because he was a freshman All-American and the yep. numbers that he was putting up, you saw something that was going to be extremely special going into year two. But I'm looking forward to seeing if this secondary, if Terry on Arnold is not biting off more than he can chew and whether this defense truly is one that people would need to be scared of or whether they'll continue to give up Points. Coming up next here on the final drive, Q Myers covers the Vegas Raiders, and we'll see who Vegas will decide to go ahead and draft in this upcoming NFL draft. There's a lot of options on the table for the Vegas Raiders. They've made a lot of offseason moves, including one in last year's draft. Drafting Mobile's own Neil Farrell. So we'll talk about the Vegas Raiders and where they may go in the NFL draft next.
3: This is TJ Mosley, inside linebacker, and you listen to the sports station WNSP 1055.
1: Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with Michael Brauner joining you this Tuesday afternoon. And we would love to welcome Q Myers. And Q does an outstanding job covering the Raiders. And also is a part-timer on ESPN Raider or ESPN radio. And your boy Q on Twitter. I know that it's a wonderful day here in Mobile, Alabama. How are things looking out in Vegas? I'll tell you what, man. It's
4: our first 90 90 degree day here in Vegas, so it's it's fantastic. It's good to get some uh, short shirt weather going on right now, and of course, it's going to be an oven sooner rather than later. But it's a it's a great day in Las Vegas today, man. And glad to be on the show with you guys. Appreciate you.
1: Our pleasure. Thanks for jumping on here on the final drive, and we wanted to get you on to talk about the Vegas Raiders' opportunity here. Bryce Young took a visit to and with the Vegas Raiders. And, of course, there's been a lot of speculation Bryce may go one or two. But I know a lot of fans would absolutely love Bryce Young to fall into the Raiders' lap.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I think the Raiders would love for Bryce Young to fall into their lap, right? I mean, everything that I've been hearing is that if he's available at pick three for some strange reason, which I, I would be shocked if he is. But if he's available, I think that they'd be very interested in trading up and going and getting him and I mean he's the guy. As you guys very well know, this is a guy that just because he has a smaller stature, I mean the dude plays big and he's got that it factor and you just can't teach that, man. If you got that it factor, you got that it factor, and that's Bryce Young. So I do believe that if the Raiders saw him and he was available at number three for some odd reason, that they would jump all over the opportunity to go get him.
2: Q assuming Bryce Young does go one or two, uh I does The signing of Garoppolo at a relatively affordable deal take the Raiders out of contention of drafting a quarterback at seven?
4: No, 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 not at all. He's a bridge guy at best, right? I think at this stage of Jimmy G's career, we know who he is. He's a guy that, you know, he's familiar with Josh McDaniel, so that's a plus for him. But he's also a guy that's going to get injured more times than not. We've seen him more times than not get injured, and, and we don't really know why he continues to get injured. I'm sure he wonders why he continues to get injured, but he does. And I think he's a good player. I think that he's a good leader. Uh, every player that the Raiders signed in free agency said they're excited to go play with them. But the reality is that, you know, you've got to have your backup ready. They just signed Brian Hoyer, but neither one of those guys are the quarterback of the future. So, you know, going back to Bryce Young, if he's available, the Raiders need to go get him and 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 get excited about it because then they have their quarterback, they have their leader of the future, and oh, they got a kid that's from the West Coast coming back to the West Coast. Yeah, it'd be it'd be a win-win-win all the way around if you were if the Raiders were able to land uh, Bryce Young.
1: Well, I'll tell you this, Q. Another interesting scenario is sometimes people call the Washington Commanders Alabama 2.0. If you were able to secure Bryce Young. For the raiders you're handing off to josh jacobs and you're throwing to oj howard now wouldn't that be something for the raider fans to say we like this 2.0
4: yeah exactly you know what and 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 the raiders have had a long history with alabama players right i mean they've just they've gone and gotten a lot and i know that every player hasn't worked out you know but even going back to you know rolando mcclain back in the day and obviously henry ruggs we know that situation happened alex weatherwood was drafted not too long ago i mean The Raiders have a thing for Alabama players, and I'm a big fan of that because I'm a big fan of Alabama football. I just think that they get it. I think that they do it right. I I get excited by watching Alabama on Saturdays uh, because I feel like that they're always going to have an opportunity to play in a national championship game. They're just that big good. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of familiarity, and they used to have um, um, uh, uh, one of their DB coaches was the DB coach there at Alabama as well. So, I mean, there's a lot of Alabama ties they go back to the Raiders so yeah I I don't think anybody in Raider Nation would be surprised to see another member of the Crimson Tide join the forces with the silver and black
1: well the biggest Neil Farrell is from Mobile Alabama of course he played at Murphy High School here went on to have a very successful career at LSU and win a national championship the the run stop or the gapper that Neil Farrell is and was for the Vegas Raiders. Defensively, let's say all the quarterbacks are taken off the board. Is there an opportunity there for them to grab a Will Anderson Jr.? Or do they go with Big Carter from Georgia? What is the biggest need from an NFL draft standpoint outside of that quarterback position if it's field?
4: They need defense. Defense, defense, and more defense. They, They really do. And there's no position that you can draft and say that that wasn't a necessary need. I mean, their defense is terrible right now. They've got Max Crosby. You mentioned Farrell. He didn't really get a whole lot of burn his rookie year. I do expect to see him, you know, get some more and get another opportunity to play more this year as well as Matthew Butler from Tennessee, but we'll see. You know, and I do think that – I actually, I know. Will Anderson is a guy that the Raiders and GM Dave Ziegler like a lot. I don't think that they believe that they'll have an opportunity to get him because he'll go probably number three or four at worst. But if he just happens to be there at, you know, six or seven, maybe they make a move. I mean, obviously they got the seventh overall pick, but maybe if he's there at six or five, maybe they try to jump up and go get that guy. But Will Anderson is a game changer. As you know, uh, I think that the Raiders would have a lot of uh, interest in him. I think they'd have a lot of interest in Brian Branch as well. Right. So, I mean, they're just, there's a lot of defensive guys that the Raiders need. They need corners. They need edge. They need defensive tackles. They need safeties. I mean, again, every element of the defense needs to be addressed.
2: Well, you brought up Brian Branch. I, I don't think you would have to take him as high as seven. We actually just talked about him and talked about I, I think he's going to be phenomenal NFL player. I don't think you'd have to take him as high as seven. Would, it, would a trade down be in play if that's the guy at the top of their draft board?
4: Yeah, either a trade down, and I agree with you. I don't think that he would go at seven, but I I think he's going to be a first-round guy. So I could see them trading down, collecting a couple more picks. They have 12 right now going into this draft, so that's already a lot of capital. But I could see them picking up a couple more, maybe going with Branch, or, or this is a scenario as well, that they can pick somebody and then with all the extra capital, trade back into the back end of the first round and maybe go with Branch, right? So they can go with the corner, or maybe they can go with a guy like Tyree Wilson out of Texas Tech at the edge and then all of a sudden double back and come back into the back end of round one and go get Branch, a guy that could play the safety position, a guy that could play the slot, a guy that could just be an enforcer on the field. Most importantly though, he, they need they need alpha dogs. They need guys that can command, you know, the the field and show who they are. Branch is an alpha dog, right? Tyree Wilson, Will Anderson, those guys are all alphas to me in my opinion. Those are the kind of guys that the Raiders need to have more of. Again I, I reference Max Crosby. He's the only alpha they have on the defense right now.
1: And I think, you know, the one part that gets overlooked is the special teams play for the Raiders or really with any team. And Daniel Carson being from Auburn, I know that he's Mm -hmm. been very successful now. You know, it doesn't put you in the mindset of Sebastian Janikowski, but again, he's that solid kicker for the Raiders. And special teams is always, whether it's the playmakers returning it with punts or kickoff returns, do they have that twitchy guy that they may be looking to draft as well?
4: Well, that's that's a good question, right? I mean, they just signed a couple guys in free agency that they think they can help in the return game. But, man, I'll tell you, when you talk about Daniel Carlson, Raider Nation, their, their smiles get on their face, man. That's Cash Buddy Carlson that everyone calls him in Raider Nation, right? I mean, that guy, you trot him out on the field. You feel confident that that ball's going through the upright. I mean, he's just that thick and good. So uh, it, it's fun to watch him go out there and operate and do what he does. Uh, besides that, man, I, I do think that there's, you know, there's always going uh, to be the, elements to the special teams unit that you try to improve. It was okay last year. They haven't had a kick return uh, or a punt return touchdown for years. A kick return, it's been like since 2011. Right, a punt return it's been not quite that long, but it's been I mean you know what I mean it's been a very long time since they've actually had someone take it back to the house. So that is an element of uh, the game that they do need to improve on. So anytime anytime they can get an opportunity to do that, they're definitely going to try to address that.
2: Q, this one never made sense to me. Why, why do you think the Raiders weren't more in on the Aaron Rodgers sweepstakes? I mean the Jets were really the only team at the end of it that ultimately uh, proved to be a, a, a suitor for them. Yeah, you
4: know, I thought that they would be, to be honest with you, especially with the Devontae Adams, obviously that's an easy connection to make, but uh, Dave Ziegler and company realized that the Raiders weren't one Aaron Rodgers away from being a winner, right? I mean, I think that they took this job a season ago thinking that the team was a playoff team because they were coming off a playoff uh, berth. You know, they had made it, they had found a way to win four in a row at the end of the 2021 season and get into the playoffs, and then lost to Cincinnati, but they weren't really a playoff team, right? I mean, they were in the playoffs, but not necessarily a playoff team. They just weren't very deep. They had a lot of holes that they needed to address. The talent wasn't there as far as depth. They had some top-end talent, but not, like I said, not not any depth. So I think that they realized pretty quickly into the 2022 season that this was going to be a lot harder of a challenge than they thought it was going to be as far as getting this team where they needed to be. So I don't think that the money that it's going to cost and the draft capital, you see that's a hang-up right now, Uh, with the Jets and Green Bay getting this deal done. I think that that was one of the big scenarios there that, okay, if we have to give all this up to get this guy for maybe one or two years, do we think we have that window to win right now? And I don't believe that they think that. I think that they'll, they'll be a lot closer once they go into this draft with those 12 picks that I talked about and really get a chance to address the defense. Then they can sit back and say, "Okay, where are we at right now? Now, how close are we?" So that's the interesting part of it, and that's a reason why I don't think, unless it's C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young, uh, you know, sit there at number three. I don't think the Raiders will make a move at a quarterback at the top ten because I don't think they feel like they want to mortgage the future for one guy that's not going to, you know, make the difference right now. Where a Stroud and a and a Bryce Young would definitely make a difference because, well, those guys are difference makers.
2: Where are we at with uh, Josh Jacobs? I the Raiders. Plan, uh, use the franchise tag on him and I, I don't know if he's going to play on the franchise tag obviously he was you could say the best running back in football last year where where, uh, where do things stand with former Alabama running back Josh Jacobs
4: yeah, that's a great question I asked Dave Ziegler that at the owners meetings and he said hey you know we haven't talked a whole lot because we had to get in free agency and then of course they had different meetings and combine and all that other stuff but you know Jacobs said it right you know he said hey you know hero turned villain Right. He said he, he led the league in, in rushing. He did everything that the team wanted him to do. Uh, you know, but he, he wasn't going to be thrilled if he got hit with the franchise tag. So they hit him with the franchise tag. It's worth $10 million, fully guaranteed. So it's, a, you know, it's an upgrade off of what he would have got on the fifth-year option. Uh, I do believe that they'll get a deal done. It's going to take a little bit of time. I think it'll be probably a you know, two-year deal that may be dressed up to be a four-year deal, but really just kind of a two-year deal. And unfortunately for Josh Jacobs and every other running back in the league, uh the league doesn't, you know, respect running backs and appreciate running backs like they should. And uh, I'm a big fan of Jacobs, always have been. remember meeting him in Nashville the day before he got drafted by the Raiders. And, you know, we've always shared that bond together. And, we, all, you know, I talk to him all the time. He's a great dude. Uh, so I think he's going to be here next year for sure, uh, possibly the year afterwards. But, uh, you know, it's just the reality is, man, running backs aren't valued in the NFL like they used to be. And so that's that's the unfortunate part. But, man, you want to talk about a guy that is loved by Raider Nation, a guy that is loved in that locker room by every player around him, uh, even, the, even the coaching staff. I mean, Josh Daniels is admitted he came to the Raiders and thought that he was going to be running back by committee. And then all of a sudden, he saw Josh Jacobs on the field and was like, well, never mind. Let's scrap that plan and let's just give J.J. the ball because, look, he's demanding it. He's not coming off the field. Played all 17 games and led the league in rushing. So, uh, hats off to Josh Jacobs, man. He's come a long way from those days back in Tulsa, Oklahoma to where he is right now, and I really got to respect that.
1: We're speaking with Q Myers. Again, he's with the Las Vegas Sports Network, and again, you can hear him On ESPN radio, host of locked on Raiders as well, and giving us a plethora of knowledge about where the Raiders may be thinking to go. And of course, we've been talking about Josh Jacobs, the former Alabama running back, and Bryce Young, and OJ Howard, who is signed in free agency with the Raiders. Also, and littering that roster is Neil Farrell from Mobile, Alabama. So the Las Vegas Raiders will try to continue to close that gap with the Kansas City Chiefs. And in that AFC West, is it this year for Coach McDaniel coming in as a new coach? Will the pressure be turned up if he's on the outside looking in in the playoffs? Do you expect them to finish first or second behind the Chiefs and to give Chiefs contention?
4: You know, I mean, when you look at the AFC West, you've got to give the Chiefs all the credit in the world. They're going to be, you know, number one until someone knocks them off, and I don't see that happening anytime soon. Uh, I think the Chargers are going to give them a run for their money, but at the end of the day, I still think the Chiefs are the better team. Uh, at least going into the draft, they're the better team, and I just think they've got the better coach, and so they're going to be there when it's all said and done. Now, depending on what buttons the Raiders press in the, in the draft could make them a much better team, I still think they'll compete with the Chargers for the second-best record in the division, right? I think that the the Denver Broncos will pull up the rear. I know they brought in Sean Payton, but they're about a year or two away from really being where they need to be. they got to figure out if Russell Wilson is even savable. So I think Denver has some issues that they've got to work out, so they'll probably come in last in the AFC West again. But the Chargers and Raiders should battle it out the rest of the, the, you know, throughout the course of the year and see who ends up second, who ends up third. And I think that as long as it doesn't look bad, like They don't have a lot of bad losses where it looks like the team is just completely uh, you know, lost or, or the players have given up on Josh McDaniels. I don't think that he's in any trouble for his job. Uh, him and Dave Ziegler came in together. Mark Davis, the owner, has been very uh, adamant that he's going to be patient and let them build this thing the right way instead of consistently changing coaches, changing coaches, changing coaches, because that's what the Raiders have done over the last 20-something years, and it obviously hasn't worked out. So now they're going to take a different approach. I think Mark Davis is practicing patience. I know it's not easy for him. He wants to win desperately you know it hasn't been a so long since they've they've uh, won but uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be something man but I, I think as long as it doesn't look bad doesn't look like it's disjointed and just like i said the team quit on on uh on Josh daniel i think he'll just be fine
1: Q Myers joining us here on the final drive. Can't thank you enough. How can people follow your coverage as to whether the Raiders will go ahead and draft Bryce Young or may decide to go defensive with Will Anderson Jr.? And if they don't go that route, you can definitely catch up with all your interviews of who they decide to go with. How can people follow you?
4: Yeah, everything. is The easiest way to find me is on Twitter, at your boy Q254. I'm hearing that Twitter is changing his name to X, or maybe that's a new thing that Elon Musk has done. That's a whole other
1: conversation. <laughs>
4: but, uh, yeah, on Twitter, at your boy Q254. Everything I do each and every day on the radio, podcast, or just out, and, like, I'll be in Kansas City for the draft for the 27th. Uh, you can catch everything I got going on. Just check out my Twitter account, at your boy Q254.
1: Q, can't thank you enough. We we'll look forward to talking to you very soon. Absolutely appreciate you. Roll Tide. (laughs) Roll Tide. Q Myers joining us this afternoon here on the final drive. Will the Raiders decide to go ahead and trade up for Bryce Young? Will Bryce Young slide down, fall in their lap? And if not, Q mentioned the defensive need for the Vegas Raiders. And I can't think of a better defensive alpha dog than Will Anderson Jr. putting on the silver and black. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5, Corey LeBounty, Michael Brauner you can hit us up at the app. We love to interact with you there as well. Coming right back at you here in just a moment.
4: Hi, this is Phil Steele, and you're listening to
1: WNSP 105.5. final drive Corey LeBounty and Michael Broner here on WNSP 105.5 and I want to thank Q Myers for joining us this afternoon and again when you start looking at this time of year we know the football transfer portal is about to be wide open and that's a place that Hugh Freeze and Auburn's football is probably going to go to to find their next starting quarterback because many have said that he's not on campus yet for the Auburn Tigers. But Bruce Pearl has been very busy already in the basketball portal, Michael, as he gets a big-time commitment on yesterday, as a matter of fact. And after you lose one of your lead recruiters and you turn around and have an opportunity to pick up the type of firepower from a scoring standpoint –
2: Big-time pickup for Bruce Pearl. Denver Jones is a really good player. Uh, really, really good. The reason reading Alabama wanted him too. uh, and it, and it was kind of apparent even like a week before his commitment that it was going to be Auburn for Denver Jones, and we asked Blackerby about this yesterday, whether that was more just because the kid wanted to go to Auburn or as, from an Alabama perspective, if it was having to do with the fact that they didn't have any damn assistance to recruit him. Uh, I I don't know if that played a factor at all. I mean, Denver Jones was was a guy that you know I'll I'll say this, Cord, people people who f- know know more uh, about the Alabama basketball program than you or I very badly wanted Denver Jones to to be wearing crimson. So to see him end up at Auburn is uh, is a bit of a tough pill to swallow there. But like I said, it, it was pretty apparent for about a week before that 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 was going to be the case. But yeah, I mean. Looking at this from a bit of a wider lens, you got Aiden Holloway coming in for Auburn in the backcourt as well. Uh, You got obviously the staffing turnover on Alabama and the roster turn, the likely roster turnover. Uh, Obviously, Clowney and Brandon Miller are going to be gone. Namari Burnett and Jaden Bradley are gone. Uh, you, you would hope that Mark Sears and Charles Bidiaco are gonna be back. Uh, JQ will see. I you know, I'd love to bring in this Aaron Estrada kid from Hofstra if that's an option. It's just uh, you know, as looking ahead to next year, looking at what we have right now in terms of the I bob or I can't I I can't remember what uh what fun, I think Chuck won that battle in terms of what we were gonna name the Iron Bowl of basketball, but uh, like the, the the crimson yellowhammer classic or so I I can't remember. But all that being said, Auburn's looking to put themselves in a very strong position next year, and Alabama obviously still has a lot of work to do.
1: Well, Denver Jones, I mean, anytime you can get a mid major prospect coming from FIU and scoring over 20 points per game and being a first team all conference usa honor performer we know the damage that conference usa was able to do in the ncaa tournament and to be a first team all conference performer that that's impressive he'll have two years of eligibility remaining for bruce pearl and the auburn tigers but when you're trying to replace five guys i think that this this young man at 6 foot 4 Bring in, like you said,
2: Holloway in. That's going to be huge. Yeah, Holloway's a, a bit more undersized, and I think he's more of a true point guard. Holloway he is. stands. At he six, is a true point Holloway guard. Holloway stands at six foot even. Uh, so he he he's like I said, he's a bit undersized. And uh, Denver Jones is certainly a, a taller guard, and I think he's more of a shooting guard type. So uh, kind. Of, I mean, for an Auburn team that I mean Wendell Green, Katie, Katie Johnson, uh, kind kind of struggled with the backcourt last season Heck, uh you got a revamped backcourt going in for auburn that is going to be very very talented at a minimum we'll, we'll see what bruce pearl can do with it and they're also
1: in the top running for another transfer portal guy from rice quincy oliveri yep and i think that when you start looking at having the opportunity to get seasoned guards that's why this transfer portal has been so damning to high school athletes to where when you could go into the portal and get someone who is a grad transfer or already has two years of eligibility or three years of eligibility remaining the days of recruiting four and five high school players and maybe filling it with two or three junior college with what you have returning and filling out an entire basketball roster is done and you add that to what they're doing from a football standpoint i mean you have 80 something scholarship guys out there and when you can't find a way to fit in 15 high school scholarships what does that tell you about the portal
2: well, it's like Arkansas well, What did we say? Arkansas has contacted 85 guys out of the transfer portal. It's like every single big name transfer guy that comes up. oh, yeah, they've heard. They've heard from Arkansas. Uh, so whether that means, <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't think Musselman is actually offering all of these guys because he physically doesn't have the scholarship to cover all. If if all these guys wanted to come play for Arkansas, now I mean he's gotten some good players. He brought in Keon Menfield from Washington. Uh, as I mean he's. Arkansas is going to be really good next year. As we say her right now, I would almost consider Arkansas to be the favorites in the SEC.
1: Well, I can't argue with that. I mean, when you continue to bring in McDonald's All-Americans and what you had sitting on the bench in Barry Dunning yep. Jr., who was Mr. Basketball in this state, I, I think that, again, Auburn has and will continue to do its due diligence. But that transfer portal can can make or break you anytime you look at having nine and ten new players you just don't know what your roster is going to look like in basketball and it's the same thing in football for auburn to be able to say okay we don't even have probably our starting quarterback on campus not because he's still in high school Mm -hmm. and graduates in may but because because, coastal carolina but because he's still enrolled at another university That lets you know the power of the portal. And Mm -hmm. it's a power portal. It has absolutely changed the game. You can say what you want to about NIL and NIL making a difference. I think the portal makes a bigger difference than NIL does.
2: I think they go hand-in-hand at this point, as a matter of fact. I I don't – I mean, NIL is – it stinks because it wasn't supposed to be used as a recruiting tool, but of course it is being used as a recruiting tool, and you know until uh, a handle is. Put on that uh, there's there's nothing that can really be done. I think the same coaches who complain the loudest about it are, are are the same ones who are using it as as a recruiting tool. So NIL, yes, it it is obviously being used as a recruiting tool, and guys are entering the portal to see how much they can get from an NIL perspective. So it, it's it certainly is a thing. Uh, that I, in in terms of the transfer portal, it's like oh, let me enter the portal and see how much I can get out of this school. And see it's it's almost like. You're becoming a recruit again. If hey, if you became if you enrolled in 2018 before NIL was legal, you didn't have the chance to cash in. All right, three years later, let me cash in and see what see what I'm worth.
1: Well, that's the biggest thing. That that what do you feel that you're worth, and what are you being told coming out? Because many freshmen or many of those who come in and do sign these NIL deals, if you don't live up to the hype, then what? Uh, because
2: now, is well, and that's the thing with NIL. It's not performative based, uh, so it, it doesn't really. Ma- and f- strictly from a financial perspective, doesn't really matter. <laughs> Honestly, it, it's not like if if you don't perform, you don't get your. Once you sign that NIL deal, that's it. Uh, so, I mean, whether you think that's good or not, I can certainly see both sides of that coin. I mean,
1: I know a lot of people. A can't stand NIL.
2: Yeah, which
1: is is dumb. The the governing of it is another story because it's it's uncontrollable. It's like okay, I'm going to squeeze the toothpaste out of the tube, and you can't get it back in. And that's where the problem with NIL comes. But with the transfer portal, at least they found some type of way outside of those who played in 2020 and had that free COVID year to get back then if now that if you're coming outside of that COVID restriction yeah. or that COVID convenience of getting that extra year of Restriction's eligibility. Restriction
2: probably not the right word with that, with it, that topic. It, it, no question. But I,
1: I think that coming out of being able to know that you're coming out of high school or junior college right now, your first two years, knowing that you don't have an extra year of eligibility, but you can only transfer once, I think that that restriction is great for all NCAA
2: athletics. I think the one-time transfer—I I never understood why it wasn't a thing. It's like, all right, if things don't work out at whatever school, why why should I have to sit out a year instead of having to try? Javon Quinterly had to sit out. That's why he's 24 years old, maybe going on 25, playing college basketball still. And yes, he also tore an ACL, but I, that's just—I mean, that was. The reality for a very long time that you have to sit out an entire season if you choose to transfer, which never really made a lot of sense to me. So it was good. They instituted that one time transfer rule. And now it's if you transfer a second time. Well, if you're a grad transfer, then it doesn't matter. Uh, But at that point, uh, it's it's a whole different ballgame
1: it really is but the auburn tigers continuing to improve their basketball roster and making that great addition for bruce pearl as again if you want to get great if you want to be great you need to go ahead and find a way to be successful in today's transfer portal and having scoring guard Denver Jones say he wants to be an Auburn Tiger is huge for that program moving forward. A 20-point score, whether he can score another 20 at Auburn, that's yet to be determined, but at least he's on their roster now. The final drive right here on WNSP 105.5 with Corey LeBounty and Michael Bronner. Again, hit us up in the app. We're, we're active in the app as well as taking your phone calls, 251 694
4: Hey, this is Adarius Owens, former Auburn football player and current CFL player. You're listening to WNSP.
1: The final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Letting you know tonight, NBA play-in games, Hawks versus Heat, Timberwolves versus the Lakers, LeBron James in year 20, the NBA's all-time leading scorer will take on a team that does not include Rudy Gobert or Jaden McDaniel. So we'll see if the Lakers can go ahead and keep their playoff hopes alive. DeMarcus Cousins, he's not in the playoffs, but he'll be playing professional basketball again. It'll be in Puerto Rico and love to see Boogie Cousins, a gold medalist winner right here from Lafleur High School in Mobile, Alabama. Guanabo Mets of the Puerto Rican Professional Basketball League is who Demarcus Cousins has signed in with to play this spring. So Boogie Cousins, if you've seen highlights of him, he can still get it done. Phenomenal basketball player. Not quite sure if he got blackballed or what from the nba but if that is the case won't be the first athlete in a particular sport not to get an opportunity to still play not necessarily in their prime but to still be is demarcus cousins the cam newton of basketball and i i I don't i mean if you can compare him
2: demarcus isn't on a roster cam newton wasn't on a roster interesting comparison there so i mean uh, that's just uh, there are that, more roster spots than there are starting QB spots. That, that, that <laughs> so, is a fact. That is a fact. Uh, I, I don't think blackball—it it was a weird situation with DeMarcus Cousins. I, I don't know exactly what—I ha- mean, he certainly is well past his prime uh, and obviously has a long history of injuries, but certainly could still contribute to an NBA team, so yeah. I, I, I don't know what—honestly— uh, more. Honestly, DeMarcus Cousins can add more to an NBA team than Cam Newton can add to an NFL team at, in the year of 2023. So, which I think is a fine and reasonable take to make. So, you know, and there are more NBA spots, roster spots, certainly than there are starting quarterback spots. Honestly, more NBA spot roster spots than there are starting or and backup uh, roster spots there. So, yes, I would take DeMarcus Cousins on my NBA team before Cam Newton on my NFL team.
1: Well, I know this much here. In the next hour, we'll see – we're talking about DeMarcus Cousins still having juice in the tank. Mark Ingram, does he still have any juice in the tank Oh yeah. as a free agent in the NFL? And, of course, we'll talk Cliff Kingsbury being hired as an offensive analyst. Yeah, that Cliff Kingsbury who you would expect to see exiled on an island, didn't think he would return to coaching – But we'll see him once again, maybe not on the sidelines, but as an analyst. And he's going to a place to where he's working with the Heisman Trophy winner, Caleb Williams. So Kingsbury knows a thing or two about working with Heisman Trophy winners. We'll talk about that in the next hour as well. Chris Gordy, Locked On SEC Dropping that SCC knowledge on its next here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5.
0: Hour number two
1: of the final drive on WNSP 105.5. And, of course, we do have the NBA play-in games tonight. Hawks versus Heat. Timberwolves versus the Lakers. And, of course, DeMarcus Cousins signing with the Guanabo Mets of the Puerto Rican Professional Basketball League. DeMarcus being 32 years of age. And, of course, we have plenty of NFL draft coverage coming up with the draft being at the end of the month starting on that April 27th and there'll be a lot of SEC names that will be called for for the last decade the Southeastern Conference has had more names called in the NFL draft than any other conference in the country and Chris Gordy joined us from Locked On SEC and Chris good afternoon and thanks for joining us Yeah guys good to be with you Chris, you had Auburn completing their A-Day game this past Saturday, not in great climate conditions as the rain just continued to pour and made it to where they were only able to throw 12 passes. But even if it would have been a sunshiny day, I'm not quite so sure. Hugh Freeze would have shown us more than 25 to 30 passes total for this Auburn Tigers offense.
3: Yeah, and I think that kind of gives you an idea of where where the quarterback spot is with Auburn right now, and, you know, again, like, we haven't seen, um, you know, Robbie Ashford, like, you know, every report we've heard from practice is like, he's looked good, not great, and, you know, T.J. Finley, the light still hasn't really come on for him, and, all the Garretters look good at times, but, you know, overwhelmingly what I took away from watching that game on Saturday, and yeah, it was raining and it didn't throw many passes, but, um, you know, Robbie Ashford's got that running ability still. We know we know that, and, um, you know, he looked pretty comfortable running the offense. I like the up-tempo stuff, but man, I, I just still feel like all signs point to Auburn uh, going to the transfer portal here in the next week or so when, when it opens again, and, Um, they're going to be looking for another quarterback. Now, whether that guy comes in and he becomes the starter by the fall, I I don't know. Time's going to tell. But I think Hugh Freeze and Phil Montgomery are looking at what they have on the roster right now and and saying it's just not good enough. And so, um, you know, I love what we saw from the backfield with the running backs. I love big number 44. I thought he was really impressive, a little bit of a bulldozer. Granted, they were running the ball ball a lot, but – I thought Demari Alston looked good. Um, yeah, I think Jarquez Hunter is obviously going to be the starter, and we know his versatility, being able to catch the ball on the backfield and all that, but I don't know if Jarquez Hunter is a is a, a workhorse, you know, a, a full-time back. I think he's a guy who's better served sharing carries with, with other guys, and so this very well may be running back by committee uh, when you talk about Brian Petit and, and all the other guys that are in that back there, but I thought the defense looked good. I was was impressed with a lot of stuff we saw from Auburn. I just thought quarterback was a glaring uh, weakness. And again, not just saying from the spring game itself, because granted, they didn't, you know, it was pouring down rain. They didn't throw many balls. But um, I just feel like that's the one missing ingredient from this Auburn team being average to pretty good next year.
1: Chris Gordy joining us from locked on SEC in Alabama has continued their spring practices. They get ready for their April 22nd A-Day game. And when you look at Nick Saban's comments late last week, talking about how he was overall pleased with Alabama's first live scrimmage, Terry on Arnold, when interviewed, says that he feels like this is going to be one of the great defenses that Alabama's ever had. And last year was a growing experience for him. The secondary definitely has to have much improvement as four or five guys have exited out of that secondary, making their way to the NFL.
3: Yeah, it's going to be interesting, guys. I mean, I I think Kevin Steele, obviously, he's a good defensive mind. Um, You know, maybe maybe a little bit more aggressive than what we saw from Pete Golding in recent years. I thought, you know, there were times where. Alabama fans wanted more blitzes, wanted more getting after the quarterback. And, you know, um, at times, you know, we didn't see that. I know Will Anderson drew a lot of double teams last year. Dallas Turner was good, but, you know, can he take his game to the next level? I think you're going to see more getting after it in the Kevin Steele defense. And so, yeah, I would not be surprised if maybe some of the statistics improved this year for Alabama defensively. Keep in mind, I mean, the, the reason Alabama did not go undefeated last year and get to the college football playoff was largely because of that defense. It wasn't because of the offense. The offense was fantastic. And, uh, you know, Bryce Young, obviously, the loss of him is, is going to leave a big void. But um, I think there's a chance that this defense is much, much better. And we get back to a little bit more of the, the ground and pound and play dominant defense that we're used to with the Alabama teams of the past. Not to say they're not going to throw the football, but maybe not as much and you know, if it is Jalen Milrow, no there will be a running component to the game. If it's Ty Simpson, I think it'll be you know a lot of short, safe passes, taking shots when needed. And um, yeah, I think this this might be a little bit of a flashback, a harken back to Alabama teams about six, seven years ago.
2: Well, you brought it up a little bit. So, where, where do you see the quarterback battle in Tuscaloosa right now as we sit here on April 11th?
3: I can only go with what everybody tells me. And, and, you know, everybody told me straight up when, when, you know, you bring in a new OC that it seems like Ty Simpson fits what he wants to do. And, uh, you know, again, I, I like what we saw out of Jalen Milro last year, but it was a little bit of a mixed bag and, you know, there was some good, some, some not great, uh, particularly that A&M game. So, uh, not to say that he can't grow and, and get a lot better this spring into the fall, but just from a few people I've talked to, including some former Notre Dame quarterbacks, they told me that they think, based on what Tommy Reese's system is, that it suits more Ty Simpson's skill set, and that it will be Ty Simpson. So, we'll see. Still plenty of time to go. It's only mid-April, um, and obviously we'll see next week when, when Alabama plays their spring game, at the A-Day game, but... I think right now, I think Ty Simpson is, has the upper hand over Jalen Milrow.
2: Well, with quarterback battles at this point in the year in general, I, I mean, does the fact that Milrow played in some meaningful action last season mean anything? I mean, the reports are that Milrow is working more with the ones than, than, and Simpson is working more with the twos. Is that just because that's how the depth chart is aligned right now? or, or what is like? Does that mean anything at this point?
3: No, and let me tell you why. A year ago at this time, we were talking about LSU's number one was Miles Brennan, and by the time the summer and fall came around, Miles Brennan quit football, and Jaden Daniels came over from Arizona State and became l s u starter. So, uh, you know, I was just talking with my buddy Stephen Willis, who covers Ole Miss, and you know, he was telling me that he thinks Spencer Sanders is not going to win that job. He thinks Jackson Dart is still going to be the starter there at Ole Miss, and again. Yeah, this is mid-April. A lot can change by the time we get to September first. But um, yeah, it's just it's just kind of where we are at this time of the year. I wouldn't put any stock in who's who's running with the ones, who's running with the twos.
1: Well, Chris, why is it as the NFL draft is approaching us on April twenty seventh, year in and year out, is it look at the national championships that's being won by the Southeastern Conference, or is it just? The talent level is that much greater in the s e c versus every other conference in the country
3: uh you just said it right there i mean go go look at twenty four seven sports and go look at you know who's finished top ten in recruiting the last few years uh, in recent years and it's always it's always s e c teams and it's it's alabama it's georgia it's l s u um Tennessee and Florida, well, Florida's certainly been in there. Um, they they just they recruit the best talent, and a lot of it has to do with the region. You know, uh, Louisiana for some reason just happens to put out so many guys, uh, so many great football players per capita, and those guys typically either go play at LSU or some of them get pulled the way over to go play at Alabama or whatever. But they uh, those you know those, those high level recruits play at SEC schools, and oh, oh, by the way, when the NFL draft comes around. Uh, those guys end up being a lot of times first and second round picks. So, yeah, I think I think the region has to has to do a lot with it. I think the uh, the schools where they go to has a lot to do with it. But you're right. I mean, it's it's become the norm now that year in and year out, the first half or half of the first round of the NFL draft is guys from the SEC. It's so funny. I live here in Houston, and the Houston Texans last year went very heavy on SEC players. I mean, over over half their draft picks were guys from the SEC, and I think that just speaks volumes to the caliber talent plus the level of coaching and the level of play of football that they, they play in. We, you know, we laugh when we read some of these stories. I think it was Devin White from LSU, when he got to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, he was a top-five pick, and he, uh, he said going up against guys that practice, you know, man, this is easy compared to the SEC. And, and, and people laugh at that. But I think there is was part of it true. The SEC is like, it's almost like the best college preparatory school for, for kids who, you know, they, they, they get grinded through in high school and then they get to college and go, wait, this is a little bit easier than I thought it was going to be. I, I think that's what the SEC does. It's big boy football for a reason.
2: Well, you brought up the quarterback battle at Ole Miss a little bit. I, I mean, you'd think Jackson Dart is going to win. They bring in Spencer Sanders. They also bring in Walker Howard. Just from a general philosophy standpoint, it's like if you, if you're Lane Kiffin and you like what you have and not love, and especially at times with Jackson Dart this past season, why why did they bring in two quality quarterbacks out of the transfer portal?
3: I mean, I think it's it's competition. I mean, you know, again, I, I go back to the LSU comparison a year ago. LSU fans are scratching their heads going, why in the world did Brian Kelly bring in Jaden Daniels when he's got Miles Brennan and Garrett Dustmeyer and, you know, a loaded quarterback room already? And Brian Kelly said, we're going to have a real open competition and made the best man win. And I think, uh, you know, I think what's happening at Ole Miss right now is having Spencer Sanders there is pushing Jackson Dark to play his best football. And uh, as our buddy Stephen Lewis told us, uh, Jackson Dark's only thrown one interception this entire spring. That's that's a dramatic improvement to where he was a year ago when he had just gotten Ole Miss. It was interceptions left and right. Um, you know, even throughout the season last year, he, he was double-digit interceptions. If he is taking care of the football, protecting it, making all the throws, yeah, I, I would say Spencer Sanders' presence has pushed Jackson Dark to be better. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. That was my gripe with Auburn. I just thought that Hugh Freeze should have brought in a, a, another starting caliber quarterback if anything, just to push Robbie Ashford and make him take his game to the next level. And when you don't have that, I think some guys kind of just rest on their laurels and say, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm the incumbent. I was the starter last year. I'll be the starter this year. No, don't be comfortable. Pu- push yourself. And I think the coaches need to do that. So yeah, I, I think as of right now, it sounds like Jackson dark's going to be the guy. And I don't know how this whole transfer portal mess works now. So Spencer Sanders leaves Oklahoma state comes to Ole Miss can he transfer again and go yeah. somewhere else, and you know, not have to sit out? And what's the repercussions? It's just uh, the transfer portal is becoming a complicated issue.
2: I, I mean, I guess even the better way to ask that because, like you, it makes sense from Ole Miss's perspective. But I guess maybe the better way to ask that if you're Walker Howard, we're talking about a kid who was regarded as one of the best quarterbacks in the entire country uh, before he committed to LSU. Why, why go to Ole Miss where there's already two two you know starting quarterbacks with starting experience?
3: Well, well, make no mistake what I'm saying. Walker Howard is the backup. Walker Howard is QB2. Jackson Dart and Spencer Sanders are competing for QB1 at Ole Miss, and the loser will be the odd man out, and I don't think he's going to stick around. So if Spencer Sanders were to do something dramatic here, uh before the fall and and he jumps into the number one spot i think jackson dart would be the the next guy up to hit the portal uh and vice versa for spencer sanders everything i've heard and i've been told is that walker howard is going to be the backup quarterback there it's just a a matter of who's going to be the qb1
1: well not outside of qb play of course We talked earlier in the show about Alabama's secondary and Terrion Arnold. Just will he be that alpha dog in the secondary for Alabama? Or is it Caleb Downs, the incoming freshman who is already being a household name to a lot of players that are being familiarized with his play I think that's the one thing that Alabama did miss last year in that secondary. You can say it was Kool-Aid McKinstry, but at times I felt that Kool-Aid was not sweet enough in regards to the way he was playing defense. Don't know if we lost you there, Chris, or not. Chris Gordy. Yeah, yeah, I got you now. Okay, got you, got you. We were talking about the alpha dogs in the in the secondary. And who is, is it Terrion Arnold being that alpha dog in the secondary for the Alabama Crimson Tide? Because I felt at times Kool-Aid was not that alpha dog.
3: Yeah, I, everything I've been told is that Downs is, is, is going to be a stud. And, and he's going to be one of those guys to, to make an impact. Um, you know, Malachi Moore. Obviously, you know playing that star position. I think he could be a guy there. But you know, it, it, I think the it, it's interesting. Brian Branch, for as much as high as NFL teams are on him right now, and I'm hearing you know a lot of teams are thinking he's he's going to be right there either back end of the first or uh, early in the second. That the secondary was disappointing for Alabama last year. I mean, it be, we thought it was going to be lights like out. Eli Ricks coming over from LSU. You know, a big stud, five star. You thought he was just going to lock down one of those cornerback spots, but man, it just wasn't exactly what we were expecting. And so, yeah, you're right. I mean, I think we're going to look to the secondary guys like Terry and Arnold to take this take this secondary back to the next level to to be shut down and get hands on footballs and force turnovers and interceptions left and right because you know that's what became so accustomed for years with Alabama defenses.
1: Well, we just want to thank you for your time, Chris and all your great coverage of everything that is all sec and how can people follow all of your great coverage of being locked into the sec
3: well just search uh locked sec wherever get your podcast we uh like i said we'll have that episode up tomorrow Stephen willis previewing the grove bowl and throughout the week we'll have a bunch of guys on from our lockdown network previewing all the all the uh full games or or, uh, the spring games happening this weekend we'll have uh our buddy Brandon Olsen previewing the Florida Gators. They'll play their game Thursday night. And then on Saturday, we'll get over half the league playing their spring games. So uh, we'll be previewing all those throughout the week. And then next week, we'll get into LSU and Alabama.
1: Chris Gordy, thank you for your time here on the final drive. And we'll be talking to you again next week. All right. Thanks, guys. Chris Gordy locked on SEC. When we come back, we'll lock in the more college football. Can Cliff Kingsbury help the Trojans of Southern Cal ascend back to the top of college football's championship podium? We'll find out. And we'll talk about it next year on the final drive on WNSP 105.5.
0: Hello,
4: Mobile. This is Damian Craig, and I'm listening to Sports Station WNSP.
1: Final drive here on WNSP one hundred five point five. Corey LeBounty and Michael Bronner joining you this Tuesday afternoon, and of course, before the break, we were talking about Cliff Kingsbury. Yes, that Cliff Kingsbury who was thirty-five and forty as the head coach collegiately at Texas Tech, twenty-eight and thirty-seven and one with the Cardinals of Arizona, and we thought that he was going to go to Southern Cal back in 2018, and then all of a sudden the Arizona Cardinals made a shocking move and made him the head coach, but he's been hired as a senior offensive analyst working with Heisman Trophy winner Caleb Williams. Will this be able to help Southern Cal get back to the top? of college football because the last time we saw Southern Cal again it was with their Heisman trophy winner Caleb Williams but they were being upset by Tulane
2: yeah so (laughs) really a full circle moment for for Cliff Kingsbury here again like you said supposed to be the offensive coordinator at USC then ultimately takes the job with the Cardinals, which you can understand why he took a head coaching job in the NFL over an offensive coordinator job in college, but again, he had already accepted the offensive coordinator role at USC before uh, ultimately moving on to the Cardinals. They, I guess, they came, uh, you know, before he really got settled in in Los Angeles, and and uh, it made him an offer he couldn't refuse. So, and then here we are, what four years later, Kingsbury gets fired, goes on a trip to Thailand, and signs up now, uh, not as. The offensive coordinator, but as an offensive analyst, and it's funny, you know, from USC's perspective, it's like they got like the young, innovative offensive mind anyway in Lincoln Riley and a head coach, and now uh, and now you bring in Kingsbury as well. So I, Kingsbury is a great offensive mind. I, I'm for bringing him in if you're USC like what do you have to lose if you're USC why why not bring him in if he wants to clear I guess Kingsbury wants to coach he got bored on the beaches of Thailand uh so if you're USC what's uh what's the downside here I think USC
1: becomes a winner in this situation but it's not like the quarterback room was already empty because you already have a Heisman trophy winner in your locker room so how much greater can Caleb Williams become and at what point in time because when you start talking about the the biggest award of them all of course is that team award which is the national championship and that's the only other thing that i think that caleb williams can add to his resume but when you have a heisman trophy on the shelf what quarterback coach do you do you want to listen to that that record's not broken so cliff kingsbury can he come in and help up out the backups is it is it helping from a recruiting standpoint because i'm not quite sure where he can help southern cal
2: yeah well getting an extra like smart offensive mind in there's not gonna certainly won't hurt uh so again it's it's not like you're you're giving him a 10 million dollar check to come coach your and, and handing him the keys to the castle with caleb williams he's not going to the in a worst case scenario he's not going to be a net negative to your coaching staff so it's like like you said why not if you're USC and and if you're Caleb Williams you got to love it I mean this is a guy who coached Patrick Mahomes this is a guy who has a lot of experience with really good quarterbacks and so I just I don't see why not obviously if you're USC they didn't not make the playoff last year because of Caleb Williams I mean, he wasn't very good in the Pac-12 championship. He was hurt. Uh, they, they got steamrolled defensively. They couldn't tackle Utah players. Uh, so that was the issue and still is the issue in terms of what they need to get fixed. Obviously, you lose uh, star receiver Jordan Addison to the draft this year, so we'll see what happens there. I uh, kind of have to rebuild the offense a little bit. I believe they have a, a like a top-notch receiver recruit coming in, if I'm not mistaken, as well. So we'll see. But, yeah, I mean, if you're Caleb Williams, it's just another smart football offensive mind with a lot of experience that's coming in and giving his two cents on things.
1: $30 million is what the Cardinals owed Cliff Kingsbury. So Thailand, to most, you would be sipping on a Mai Tai for the next year or two. Well, apparently Cliff Kingsbury, he said, sweetheart, I'm tired of doing that. I want to go coach football, and what better place to do it than the place that initially hired me? But Southern California, when's the last time USC was relevant in a top college football? I mean, I mean Reggie year, Bush, I Mike, yeah. Matt Leinart, I, I mean, that's that's how long it's been since yeah. Southern Cal. And, again, nothing wrong with coming in as an offensive analyst, I think that Coach Lincoln, he's smart by knowing, look, I I need to find somebody as smart or smarter than me in the room that can help me. But when you start looking at the number of Heisman Trophy quarterbacks that these two coaches have had an opportunity to be a part of.
2: Lincoln Lincoln Riley is now uh, going on four, I believe, so –
1: that that's impressive in and of itself. It's hard enough to get one, but he
2: doesn't win the big game though. If you're like he's never really won a big game. Uh had his best chance in the Rose Bowl against Georgia, and obviously they lose uh they lose the thriller there. So other than that, you know, he kind of may have made the playoff with Oklahoma a couple of times and got throttled. Got throttled by Joe Burrow. Uh, kinda yeah, they made it a game against Alabama in 2018, but Alabama was up 28 nothing in that game. They were throttling Oklahoma. Uh, so it's like you kind of have the same issues at USC as you had at Oklahoma. So it's an interesting situation there in that, uh, you know, we'll see if if Kingsbury. I think the transfer portal changes the game a little bit in that, You can bring in guys to to fill out a defense and maybe compete with your Alabamas and Georgias of the world and your 2019 LSUs of the world. But, I mean, what we saw from the Pac 12 championship game last season, I mean, they got steamrolled by a team in their own conference in Utah because they couldn't tackle. So it, it's not like they got the quarterback. They have the offense. Now you're bringing in Kingsbury. It's probably going to make the offense even better. It certainly isn't going to make the offense worse. I just I, – I don't know. I mean, there, there are other issues at USC, which I'm sure Riley is on. Well, uh, in terms
1: Malachi of Nelson is an outstanding, phenomenal oh, quarterback. He's, he's going to be that, really that good. I think that he'll have an opportunity to continue to groom. But it never hurts when you have a Heisman Trophy winner already – in the room and you're coming to give them more knowledge and mark ingram he he's been in a heisman trophy room as a matter of fact alabama's first heisman Uh, trophy winner which is hard to believe but does he have enough left in the tank to still play in the nfl i think that that's a question that really mark ingram says yes to But he's already played 12 seasons of NFL football. He's 33 years old. We had Q Myers on earlier reestablishing the fact saying that what you've thought all along, the running back's value is not where it used to be. But at 33 years old, can you still
2: successfully play running back in the National Football League? well if at, your name's marking at this point for mark ingram it's it's not even a question of value because i mean mark ingram isn't looking for a big money deal at this point any team that's just bringing, wants to make a roster yeah, any team that's bringing in mark ingram it's almost probably for the veteran minimum at, at so that and you know that stinks that it's the guy who's going to put his body on the line and play the position of nfl running back for uh the minimum but I mean at as a 33 year old guy who's been in the league for 12 years that's just what you're facing at that point uh but I I I don't think Mark Ingram ha- has much left in the tank and I, I mean you want to bring him in As a veteran presence in your running back room, sure. You know, he's a great locker room guy. I've never heard anyone say a a bad word about Mark Ingram, but in terms of, like, how much does he actually offer an NFL roster in 2023 as a 33-year-old, I uh, just—probably not a whole
1: lot. Well, well, the problem is, I mean, you miss seven of the Saints' final nine games. If you're able to finish with the bang and show you still have some pop left in you, then— You're having a better chance as an unrestricted free agent to make a roster. But when you look around and you see all in the XFL or the USFL or even just from other free agents that are available, Mark Ingram, I think, would be great for television because he's so knowledgeable and has that great personality. I, I think that it's just time to hang those cleats up if you're Mark Ingram Because you've given all you can give and you make a 13th season in NFL, you've done more than most because the average NFL span is only three years. And for Mark Ingram to try to make it to year number 13, I just don't think it's going to happen. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5, Corey Lebounty and Michael Bronner taking your telephone calls 251-694-1055. Or you can get to us through the app. We respond there as well. Hey, this is Julian Zeus-McClurkin with the world-famous Harlem Globe Charters. And my favorite station is WNSP Sports Radio 105.5 FM. Welcome back to the final drive. You can reach us at 251-694-1055. And Michael, you're not going to win all the recruiting wars if you're a college coach. But prime time, Deion Sanders, he wants to go ahead and retool Colorado's roster. Colorado only winning one football game a year ago. But... In your own backyard, you want to put a border up around Boulder, Colorado and not let anyone get away from you. Deion Sanders not having a lot of success with that is the big boy conference. The Southeastern Conference takes one away. The Tennessee Volunteers went into Boulder and received one of the commitments from one of the highest ranking
2: recruits in Colorado. Yeah, how do you like that, Dion? <laughs> welcome welcome to Major College Football, where the guy being from your state guarantees you absolutely nothing. Why don't you ask iowa and caden proctor about about how they feel (laughs) about how they feel about that caden proctor is going to probably be playing right or left tackle for alabama as a freshman this year so yeah you uh that's just the reality of recruiting at a at a high level program you're competing against teams like tennessee it doesn't matter that the kid is from colorado that's just the reality for for dion and he's going to figure that out pretty soon
1: and that's gage Ginther. he's an interior offensive lineman out of fort collins colorado the number two recruit in the state in 2024 wants to play for the Tennessee Volunteers, and he absolutely figured that out. But, again, I think that Dion being Dion, he'll be on to the next one. And, of course, the next thing up for the Alabama Crimson Tide is the spring game, and it all starts with defensively as Auburn had a scoring method of putting 24-0 up on their 8A game board and letting the offense try to score as many points as possible, already having 24 points on the board, seeing if the defense could stop ones versus ones, which is an outstanding situation. on Arnold, though, we'll see if he can continue to be a number one for the Alabama Crimson Tide.
2: Yeah, and I think he will be able to. Uh, I mean, Alabama better hope he's able to. They they bring in some some uh, some good recruits in the in the way of corners as well. But I mean, you you would really hope that Terry and Arnold is is going to be your go to guy, especially based on the words today. You would really hope that Terry and Arnold is going to be uh, a guy you can count on to be one of your starting eleven this year. I just. I, I, I mean, he was a starter at the start of last season and ultimately got overtaken, one, because he wasn't playing well, and two, because of Eli Ricks. Arnold still played some good games, but certainly wasn't good enough. So, I mean, he says he's learned by being thrown into the fire. I guess we'll find out if that's true. Well, what's true about Malachi Moore?
1: And that's the biggest question. What is Malachi Moore worth to the Crimson Tide? Because here's a young man who came out of the Birmingham area and really made an impact as a freshman. And now all of a sudden this past year, where do you see number 13? You see number 13 on the sideline, not even in the rotation. And I didn't know if it was a factor for Nick Saban to, that someone was better than he was on the field. I'm not at practice every day. I don't know what kind of worth ethic the young man has, but when you see the defense continue to get torched It makes you wonder what's going on and why Malachi Moore is on the sidelines for the Alabama Crimson Tide.
2: Malachi Moore's a a hard one to figure out. He's had a pretty interesting career arc for Alabama. He kind of was a stud as a freshman he played meaningful minutes as a freshman and then whether it be injuries or just other players being better than him he, he kind of had he certainly fell out of favor his sophomore year really barely played his sophomore and then yeah we worked his way back in a little bit last year but he, he returns for his senior year whereas he was a guy after his freshman year who it probably if you told you 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 said then that Malachi Moore is going to be here for all four years. You would have been shocked because he was that good his freshman year and he was that much of an important piece of that defense. But now, I mean, Malachi Moore has fallen. I don't want to say he's fallen out of favor because he hasn't been on the field a whole lot. But a guy like Brian Branch, it was just quite simply a better player. He He ended up being able to stay healthy more than Malachi Moore. And that's often what it comes down to. Obviously, we talk about a lot. The best ability is availability. It's the old cliche, but it's true. So, I mean, if you're a guy who's able to stay on the field, you're able to develop and get better in that system. Malachi Moore, I know he's had back problems. He's had all all kinds of injuries. So, I mean, we hope he's healthy now. I know Saban said today or yesterday that he's getting all kinds of different looks at star and, you know, maybe some looks in the slot. Uh, So we'll see exactly what kind of role he ends up Playing, but it, it, it it's tough. I I it's a big opportunity for a redemption year, I think, for Malachi because he's a guy. Again, we were talking about as a potential man. This guy's going to be an absolute star for Alabama. Uh, star, as in you know, superstar, not as in the position. The position right? <laughs> yes. So uh, that, but and it just didn't happen for him. So we'll see if he can uh, cap off his career in crimson the right way this year. Well, I, I think that when you start looking at
1: the reasons whether it's injury that's probably one of the reasons if it's injury that's why you don't hit the portal outside of that you want to know did malachi Moore consider hitting the transfer portal or did he want to go ahead and stay with nick saban in the crimson tide and truly show what he's capable of doing and becoming a difference maker and wanting to be a national champion i
2: mean you could understand why he would have I'm sure he considered the transfer portal but ultimately I'm glad that he chose to stick it out and stay. I mean look at a guy for example, look at Drew Sanders for for Arkansas last year. And Drew Sanders is I mean you can move him all across all around the front seven. He's he's that special of a player and he is going to be drafted this year I believe as well but the path for him to play this season with Will Anderson and Dallas Turner at those outside linebacker positions it just wasn't there so Drew Sanders chose to go to Arkansas and he was actually one of the better players in the SEC this past season he was spectacular Arkansas had a miserable pass defense but had a spectacular front seven is the reason they were able to stay competitive is how how uh, how good their pass rush was and Drew Sanders was a huge part of that so you so you you know it's good example of a guy who ultimately is just overtaken because it's alabama let's face it they have a lot of really good players and and uh, a revolving door of talent and drew sanders just ultimately there wasn't a path to keep him on the field It uh, stung watching him ball out for arkansas and and the fact that you think oh man like could have gotten involved somehow but ultimately you see the the role he played on arkansas and that that meaningful role just wasn't there for him so for malachi i mean it could have been a similar situation you absolutely could understand it had he left to go somewhere else maybe a tennessee or an arkansas a team that struggled to defend the pass this year but he did stick it out he's here for his senior year the guy bleeds crimson so we'll see if uh the if that pays dividends for him
1: well don't forget coming up next here on wnsp 105.5 talking spring football With Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner will be coming at you next here at the top of the hour. And of course, we'll be taking your telephone calls on that show as well. Tracy will be able to give us a recap of what he felt was accomplished for Auburn during their spring game. And of course, Scott will be able to give us that insight as he's getting ready to go to the capstone and see a closed practice and just give. All his great all-time legendary moments that only Scott Hunter can bring you. And we look forward to talking spring football here next on WNSP 105.5. But coming back, we'll put the finishing touches on today's final drive here on WNSP 105.5.
0: Hey, this is Bucket Blakes
3: from the world famous Harlem Globetrotters, and you're listening to WNSP in Mobile.
1: The final drive on WNSP 105.5, and of course, the NBA play in games. Essentially, the playoffs start tonight the Hawks versus the Heat, the Timberwolves versus the Lakers. We'll see if LeBron James can keep the Los Angeles Lakers in a playoff contention, or will they go home early? And I think that one of the guys that could have helped the Los Angeles Lakers was DeMarcus Cousins. But DeMarcus Cousins, he signs to play in Puerto Rico, a little spring professional basketball league. DeMarcus, of course, an Olympic gold medalist here from Mobile, Alabama, LaFleur High School, signs with the Guanabo Mets. And DeMarcus is one of those guys where if you've seen him lately, it's not like he's been drinking beers and is out of shape. He's still fit, trim, and slim, and can still give any four or five position in the NBA the business. But, of course, The NBA play-in games, again, start tonight. And what will start back in September will be the NFL prices for its Sunday ticket. YouTube has announced its pricing for NFL Sunday ticket, $349 a season. If you get it before June 6th, it drops $100 down to $249. And I like to watch the NFL Red Zone. No commercials, eight hours of unlimited football. 389. If you bundle with the red zone, and if you don't have YouTube, $449 for the season. Michael Bronner, mm. the Sunday ticket for you to watch your Patriots exclusively. Yeah. Sounds to me like people are going to be handing over some dough <laughs> unless they're going ahead and watching it. With those streaming devices that you can plug in.
2: Well, got a few options here uh, for the common fan. Uh, You can, A, choose to not watch. For me personally, that's not an option. Uh, I'm not going to not watch. I mean, we've said it a lot on this show. It's like Roger Goodell could could do terrible, horrible things on live television. Nothing he's going to do is going to make me quit watching the NFL but this one really makes you grit your teeth when you see the the those YouTube TV pricing cuz i mean the the NFL I mean the direct TV, people complain a lot about the direct TV stuff but cuz oftentimes it didn't work but i mean in terms of affordability for what you're paying for to stream for the season I mean, it is like 200 bucks roughly pretty much a flat rate um 349 yeah, a season. It, it, it's not good. Uh, 389 it's not good. with red zone. You oh. can. I can't advocate for this, but you can stream illegally. That's an option. Uh, well, that's a <laughs> lot of options for a lot of people. But I, so that's an option as well. Uh, I think That's option A for I, a
1: majority of the listeners.
2: Yeah, and I think a lot, a lot of people, uh, you know, were, we're sending their jokes about, you know, oh, I'm going to be pirating this and that, but. Uh, you know, I' not advocating for that, so so relax. But yeah, uh, and then there's just uh, grit your teeth and pay it. So it's probably what I'm looking at. Unfortunately, I'm gonna find out whether or not. You can kind of share, you know. Maybe I'll I'll do a split situation with my parents <laughs> and have the. If you can have multiple accounts logged in at the same time, here's the thing too. I love two TVs on an NFL Sunday, so it's like if you can't log into both, like you should be able to log into both and have two TVs sitting there and logged into both. You gotta f- I gotta find out how many. Uh, logins can be can be had at the same time I, there was there's rumors that the NFL was going to or YouTube was going to maybe give you the option of being able to pay for individual teams like say I wanted to just watch the Patriots games I could pay some kind of rate to watch the Patriots games that's not going to happen I'll tell you that right now cuz guess what People are going to pay it regardless. They're going to say you got to buy it all at once. And people are going to pay it. That's just the reality of uh, of 2023. It, it is what it is. And guess what? And, and I hate to say it, but I'm going to pay it. Like, uh, and, and I'm not happy about it, but I'm going to pay it. Like, what what's the alternative? Not watching NFL football? That's not an option.
1: Well, you can always go and watch your traditional. You won't be watching your Patriots. I, that's but... not an
2: option. I haven't missed a Patriots game in 20 years. That's not an option. It's. I mean, I hate to say it, but I I can't not watch the Patriots. That that doesn't fly. It it's not it's not it's not possible. It doesn't work.
1: Well, you know, you had a user said uh, WNSP should pay for employees because you have to talk about games for your job. Uh, tax like write off. I like that idea. Tax write off there, Michael Bronner. Of course, tax day coming up for most Americans here, and uh, again, you 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 write it off. LLC yourself, Mike, to where you don't have to <laughs> grit and bear it. But again, if you want to watch YouTube NFL Sunday ticket, three forty nine for the season, two forty nine if That's you purchase. If you buy it before, before June, June, June sixth, yeah, it's yes. be more,
2: more like four fifty if you don't. So
1: four forty nine afterwards, but you get the NFL Red Zone. Oh, great! I'm personally going NFL Red Zone because I like to wrap around and whip around coverage without commercials. But I know that you definitely. You have to see your Patriots no matter what time they play. I will say this, Michael, a little parting Patriot shot there. If their record was better, you wouldn't have to worry about them not playing on Uh, our local market affiliate. ah, They would be on NBC.
2: If only I had more than 30 seconds to go back with you on that. (laughs) How convenient. (laughs) No
1: worries. I got you, Michael Bronner. The final drive finishing up here. On a Tuesday and of course coming up next, talking spring football with Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner as we kind of give a recap of Auburn's 8A game and Alabama's that's coming up on the 22nd.
0: This is talking Spring Football on the Sports Station, 105.5 FM and WNSP.com. Let's go, let's go. Stay tuned as we take you to the practice fields in Auburn and Tuscaloosa as players begin their campaigns to be on the field and not on the bench this fall. Brought to you by Bayou Fasteners and Jordan Automotive. Call now at 694-1055 or join the discussion on the WNSP app. Talking spring football here with Scott Hunter and Tracy
1: Turner, getting ready to enter the studio. Of course, Auburn having their A-Day game this past Saturday, and Scott, Alabama will have theirs on the 22nd in a couple of weeks. And it's just that time of year where across the Southeastern Conference, teams are gearing up depth chart-wise, we're ripping and ready to go in regards to getting good reps. We've talked about that as well, Scott, but I know you'll be going up to Tuscaloosa here in a couple of weeks, or next week, rather, to to see Alabama. They went uh, live
5: last week. Not next week, but going up Friday. uh, Coach Saban always has the a club football guys back up uh, to for the closed scrimmage on Saturday and Ralph club members and so forth. So I'm going back up, uh, going up for that, and uh, I like this scrimmage because unlike the A day scrimmage where he tends to be vanilla and not want to show the opposition anything. Uh, the scrimmage itself Saturday is all scenarios will be uh, on the field. Uh, for the quarterbacks, particularly, you know, uh, out in the field, uh, backed up, going in, third and long, and all those scenarios will be worked on um, for not just quarterbacks, but uh, everybody, defense, offense, kicking game, you name it. So they'll practice and and have a, a good look at all scenarios. So. Obviously, i get a chance to look at the quarterbacks. uh, Milrow and Ty Simpson at this point are the two leaders and see, you know, how it goes with them. And so we'll see.
1: Well, we do know this. Out of the 8-A game in Alabama, you're either going to be eating steak or being in Franks. And for if you're losing that game, it's a little bit different than what Auburn did with their A Day game because the score to begin the game was twenty four to zero and it was ones versus ones. And Coach Hugh Freeze, even though it was cold and wet, Auburn only threw twelve passes. You got an opportunity to see that offensive line and the big uglies really be able to dig deep in those wet trenches.
6: Well, I guess that was about all they could do. They didn't, they didn't throw it much, so you didn't see any of that part of what you wanted to see, and which sort of played into Robbie Ashford's game. Uh, so I don't know what we learned other than we thought we already knew. There were some pretty good running backs, so I think they've got depth there. And, uh, you know, it appears that they've got some people on the offensive line that can get movement which is a problem that Auburn has had really for a couple of years. So, now whether they can pass block effectively, we're going to have to wait and see. But it is at least a little exciting to think the other team knows you're going to run and you still can get some movement. The bad thing about that is when you're doing it to yourself. (laughs) So, you know, did that mean that the the defensive line didn't didn't play super motivated because – you know, the kid from Kentucky's pretty good run stopper. The the kid from – I think he's from Calera that went to Oregon State and his back, uh, Jones, is a humongous human individual, about 6'6", 330. And you would think somebody that big, you know, could keep from getting knocked back off the ball. So that's a little disappointing that uh, Auburn was able to run the ball pretty successfully. I think they have, what – uh, 77 yards by Jackson was the leader, but Ashford had close to 50. Batay had a couple of good runs. Uh, Austin, I mean, all the running backs, and they know how good that, that Hunter is. So that's encouraging. What wasn't encouraging is, yeah, it's wet. The ball's wet. but Didn't they start like the first two passes were drop, drop? Absolutely. And that that
1: part right there is where, outside of the offensive line, one of the things that I know Auburn really wanted to work on was their wide receivers. And that's been one of the question marks entering this season is, how can we go vertical? How can we be explosive? And the flip side of that for Alabama is defensively they gave up so many explosive plays and you have four or five guys that have now gone on and entered their name in the nfl draft but we were talking earlier on the final drive that alpha dog you to me scott you need at least two you gotta have an alpha dog in the secondary and you really need one in in the box whether it's from the
5: linebacker no. or from the D-line position. Yeah, we, we were talking about that earlier. And uh, Barmore, or what, three years Christian ago, Barmore. just mm-hmm. sort of came out of nowhere. I mean, he didn't have much of a previous season. And all of a sudden, he is a power-to-be uh, in the middle. And when somebody can rush like that inside, uh, then the other team has generally got to double-team him guard and center on him or something of that nature. And, of course, when they do that, that leaves the edge rushers uh, with a one-on-one pass rush situation and they can be more effective. Uh, But Alabama did not have a bar more last year. And so, consequently, defenses uh, like Tennessee and LSU or offenses like Tennessee and LSU had an opportunity to scheme Uh, against Will Anderson and Dallas Turner and chip them with a tight end or a back or double team them with guard and tackle and something of that nature or open guard pulling out to look for to help the tackle uh, with Will Anderson. So, Will wasn't near as effective as everybody thought he was going to be at rushing the passer, not his fault. You know, he's battling through two guys. So, But with uh, a middle rusher this year, and I, one thing that did kind of leak out of last, pra- last week's practice was Alabama freshman defensive lineman James Smith uh, apparently had quite a day, multiple sacks uh, against the first-team offensive line. And both with ones and twos. So, you know, we go back uh, to Big Cody. Remember Big Cody and was it, 06, 07? Yeah, Cody. And we were sitting here on Talking Football at that time. We were talking about what's the most important player that Alabama is going to get the In this offseason to help them this season. And I said, without a question, it's this big old defensive lineman from Mississippi Junior, Mississippi Coast Junior College Mm -hmm. named Cody. Because unless Alabama can stop Auburn on third and three, which they haven't done in 10 years, (laughs) unless they can stop Auburn in third and three running between the tackles, they ain't going to beat Auburn. But Cody comes in and turns the whole thing around defensively, he turned the whole thing around. Uh, And so they need a, a, a Cody, if you will, this upcoming season in my opinion.
1: Well, when you turn to Auburn, I, I think that the defensive side of the ball is going to be young uh, as far as on your ends. And I think that that's why you bring in Falk, Keldrick Falk, to make that difference. and And it's hard because, to me, fans wanted to see kind of whether you – Manufacturers score 24 to nothing. The weather just wouldn't allow Auburn to me to be great, to kind of show and to showcase themselves. And you're gonna have elements in the fall as well that you're gonna have to play in. But under those type of conditions, I felt that Auburn really said, you know what, like you said, the kicking game, being able to tie the game, McPherson being able to kick a wet ball, being able to make a 33-yard field goal, that's one of the pluses and the positives to me that Auburn definitely has is in special teams.
6: Well, they, you know what they got with a punter? I mean, they've got one of the top five or certainly ten in the country. He's going to be consistent, hang time. He's going to be able to use a lot of the rugby stuff too, the end over end. <laughs> Excuse me. Pin them inside to the 20. Um, you know, so uh, we're, we're uh, snapping from the 43 because it's one of those things you know, we want to – Punt. We don't want to try a field goal. It's too far to go for it, really. So you punt, and your punter kicks it out of the end zone, and you netted 23 yards. Whereas he kicks it dead at the eight, his average is only 30 something yards, but boy, that's an effective kick. And, uh, you know, so many of the, as we've had these Australian kickers, have started kicking the back end of the ball. You, you know, you were always taught, and now they, they kick the ball. So, so they're they're good in the punt game, and for McPherson to come out there, uh, I heard I saw Coach Reese talking about it. Uh, the snapper had to snap a wet ball, so he didn't need it to slip off his hands and come really willy really wobbly. That the holder had to make sure to catch a, a, a wobbly kind of ball, so he caught it. You know, and mine, my youngest, being a snapper, going to be at South next year as a, as a freshman snapping. I learned a lot. You know, there's. You know these folks you see on TV that throw a Hawk or a hatchet? <laughs> when I try to throw that into a tree, it may stick this time, but the next ten times it hits with the head and falls to the ground. There's an art to throwing it so that when it gets the distance to where you want it to stick in something, it's the sharp edge that sticks in. Even with a knife, you see people do. There's snappers that are so good in snapping that when the ball gets to the holder, the laces are toward the line, so all the holder has to do is catch it and set it down. They don't have to spin it. You've always heard about, well, he had to spin that one when he got it. That's That saves what, a tenth? Of second, a sure. second, so you catch it and set it down. So Coach Freeze was very pleased that in sort of a, a manufactured stressful situation, I know Scott has seen it in practices he's gone to and probably with the Packers and the Falcons and everybody else, but, you know, you would try to manufacture stress. You make this, we don't run. If you don't make it, da-da-da, everybody get around, and you'll be hollering in his ear and doing all this, you know, and and you have to kick it. Well, Coach Freeze got to see a wet, nasty kick to tie the game. So, kicking game-wise, he felt pretty good out of that. I know that was a long story for everybody, but, you know, it's –
1: It is effective because, again, special teams, you never realize how important they are until there's a bad snap and or a bad kick, and it cost you an opportunity to play for a national championship.
6: Wait, let's let's think about it. Alabama's kicker. Hey. <laughs> Alabama's kicker missed, what, three field goals all year? Yeah. One of them was a 49 or 50-yarder against Tennessee. If he makes, I'm going to say that game, was Older. Alabama 52-49 right. Come on. instead, of, Come on, instead of 52-49 the other way. So he 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 missed that kick. So you think it was important? A-
1: absolutely. And he didn't miss Will many, Rykert. but he missed that one. Uh, I mean, Will Reichert is that guy. I mean, he is Mr. Clutch, who you want to, to be kicking for an opportunity to win. And when you show the type of consistency, you know, in the past, Alabama has really had to hold their breaths after every extra point or extra – every field goal prior to Will Reichert arriving on campus. And since J.K. Scott, the outstanding punter who's still in the NFL, you, you just didn't have that special teams guy at Alabama. Because, Scott, it was like, okay, we have to score a touchdown here because a field goal, we don't know whether we're going to make it or not.
5: Well, they've had some struggles with field goal kickers and had some good ones in the past. Um, but will, will pretty consistent. And now he's coming back for his fifth, sixth, or seventh year based on the COVID protocols. So I uh, fully expect him to be as good as he's been in the past. And, and you know, you're going to miss some sometimes. You just hope that when you miss one, it's not a matter of five seconds to go in baton rouge uh, or in my case uh, my sophomore year when the last play of the game was a missed field goal from their Tennessee 17 yard line we'd gotten the ball to the 17 i had it all set up stopped the clock with uh, with a first down that was the first year they allowed or they started to the stop the clock when you made a first down and we didn't have any timeouts left. Got it stopped 17, and we missed the field goal and lost 10 to 9. So, you just hope it's not one of those scenarios.
1: Those yeah. are ones that stick around with you forever, yeah. and
5: Scott like, like,
6: will,
1: will never, will never <laughs> I forget, won't forget I that. I that one. I <laughs> didn't
6: think about one of those myself.
1: We've seen the movie Laces Out that, that you talked about, Tracy, to where, you know, Scott, you being a holder, I want to talk about on the other side of this break when we come back. Why is the quarterback always the holder? Because the wide receivers are the ones with the great hands. Why is it the quarterback that always, or the backup quarterback, that is always the holder for any team that you see from a special team standpoint? The Tide talking spring football here with Alabama and Auburn's great players of the past we're we're talking alabama present and future here on talking spring football on wnsp 105.5
6: this is mayor sandy Stimson. you're listening to sports radio 105.5 fm wnsp
0: Talking Spring Football continues on 105.5 FM and WNSP.com. Call in now at 694-1055 or join in the discussion on the WNSP app. 251-694-1055
1: 251-694-1055 is how you can get into talking
5: spring football here with Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner. Corey, and you got that talking. I, I got it down. Spring pack. football. You got that down. That's good. You've been practicing that. I, I've huh?
1: been practicing. I, yeah, I practice knew that makes perfect. That's what we were talking about. And we were talking about special teamers practicing make perfect. And you had to be perfect as a holder, Scott. And you were mentioning the game that you lost ten to nine and why is it that quarterbacks, though, really are the holders? Well, because you wouldn't think they yeah, have great hands.
5: You, you you handle the football all the time uh, in practice and so forth, more so than receivers or just about anybody else. In some cases, the maybe the punter may or the backup punter may be the holder because the holder prefers working with somebody that he works with in practice all the time. And as a quarterback, you don't get a chance to work with him except in the kicking period uh, to some degree. So, sometimes, uh, you know, the a punter may be the holder. Um, uh, but generally, you know, you want a quarterback. And particularly, there's another reason for that. If you fake the field goal, uh, you don't want a punter trying to throw a pass uh, to who you're trying to get it to uh, to make a first down or score. You, you might get be,
6: the Garrow, yeah, your premium
5: yeah, pass well, against the Redskins. Well, <laughs> I think – but I'm talking about a holder, you know, <laughs> I know coming I know. coming out of a fake field goal. You want somebody that can throw the football. Generally, you've got somebody picked out that is going to run a short route or something of that nature to, you know, to catch a pass for, to make the first down or score. So, consequently, you want, a, you want a quarterback there back there holding. And I held when I got to – green bay you know i held as a a rookie in exhibition season there and then the next year i started out holding and i remember uh, we had chester marco uh we drafted him at green bay our second year because we just didn't have a field goal kicker our rookie year and we're in exhibition that first exhibition in milwaukee against the bears and Anyway, uh, I'm holding, uh, I didn't hold for the rest of the season. But I'm holding for a couple of the get three games in the exhibition season. So, man, I put it down. Chester just kicks it right through. I said, "Man, this guy's good." And Butkus starts saying some, you know, colorful language toward <laughs> Chester. You know, and Chester standing there nodding his head, you know, like this to Butkus. And I thought that's a strange thing. Then finally, I figured out Chester is Polish. He didn't know what. Dick is saying. <laughs> <laughs> so I said to Buck, I said, Dick, he's, he's Polish. He doesn't even understand what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> you
1: had to let him know. And, and, and it's one of those things with your son, Tracy, being a specialist, the importance of special teams. And again, the Auburn scrimmage game on Saturday just saturated by rainfall and and, and continuing to get cold. But what I was impressed with was the number of four- and five-star recruits that were on campus and the difference that not necessarily the weather could make. I think as coaches, probably the only disappointment that the Auburn staff had was that no one committed on Saturday. There wasn't that huge splash of a name because normally you do have, after an 8 a game, you hear about the – four- or five-star recruit who had thought about it, go ahead and making that decision while on campus. But Auburn has really made a difference in their recruiting, and it's evident as the number – Sterling Dixon Jr. from Mobile Christian being right there on campus for Saturday's game.
6: Well, there were a number of them there, and it were a number of the four- and five-stars who returned for their second visit of the spring. And, uh, you know, that's good because sometimes you get somebody to come first time out of curiosity – but if they come back and now you know, well, they're 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 interested a little bit, want to see what else might be going on. So, look, this staff gets it, all right? Don't it? We're we're beyond the the way it was before, and I and I don't know why they didn't get it, and so I'm not, I, and I'm not going to cast any stones because no need to go back. They, but I'm just going to say they didn't get it. But Coach Freeze and this current staff gets it, so. You know now what's important is to go out there on the field and 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 produce a product that all of these recruits that they're talking to want to be a part of. Uh, you know our uh, our local Robert Woodyard he had a great spring. I I don't think there's any question but that he's going to be in the two deep rotation. You know because you can't play a linebacker. Scott and I have talked to this. Anytime a defensive player plays 50 snaps or more, 51 is not as good as 21. And so you need to have them fresh, which means you need at least four of those two inside guys when you're going to run a Rob Roberts kind of attacking uh, whether it's a he's going to go with a four-two or whether he's going to go with a you know a four-one, whatever it is, so that's important. And I'm happy for him. I think his knee is totally well, so we can we can see the best of Mr. Woodyard.
1: Well, that's what you want to see. And unfortunately, you know Deontay Lawson being injured for the Crimson Tide won't play this this spring, but held out and, and I know making a difference is what you want to see for anyone who's not playing due to an injury. Uh, Whether it's a reoccurring injury, you don't want to get that hurt so they're not able to play when you need it the most in October and November, Scott. But for Alabama, again, defensively, this team only gave up 18 points a game last year. But when you give up the historic number, the largest number since 1906 I think that's when the red flags went out and we talked about it yesterday on the final drive that's when you kind of knew that it was time for probably Pete Golden regardless of how great of a recruiter he was for changes to be made defensively
5: well obviously we were watching the Tennessee game and I was texting back with several Alabama fans and Texas coming. What are we gonna do in a second? Oh, we're gonna change the scheme. We're gonna come up in their face. We're gonna play press man. We're not gonna let that big wide receiver for Tennessee who had what 18 touchdown catches. It seemed like he could. Yeah. R- uh, he, he was running down the Still field. running. By himself. And we're gonna press man him. We're gonna probably take a safety out and put a fast corner in at safety where he can run deeper, uh, deep if necessary. None of that happened. And it just kept on keeping on, despite that Alabama um, almost won the football game. But at that point, I thought, man, we don't make those those kind of changes in your at halftime in your scheme. Uh, something's going on. And so consequently, uh, we get to the LSU game, and some of the same stuff happened, and defensively, and so. Uh, The defensive coordinator was was replaced with a very experienced uh, uh, defensive coordinator who I I know very well and spoken to many times, had a couple of cold beers with him and just talked football, not, not Auburn, Alabama stuff, but just football. And that's a guy that knows defensive football in and out. So... Uh, he he will make
6: a difference with that defense. You know what made that worse, Corey, was like two weeks later after the Alabama game, Georgia played Tennessee, and Georgia did exactly what Scott's talking about in the first half. Until I mean, yeah, that game wound up what twenty eight to nine or twenty eight to ten or something no, like that. It but it felt like it was just a, not even just you it, it, know, was, it was fifty to ten. Yeah. really feeling right. I mean, Georgia just dominated Tennessee. And they ran the same kind of scheme that Scott's talking about. Get up on them. When they throw it to them, tackle them. And – a lot of those teams live off of broken tackles. We're going to throw a four- or five-yard pass. You're going to miss it. We're going to go down, I guess, 20-yard pass, 20-yard pass. Then you're going to do something, and we're going to hit you with a seam route or a post corner or something. Uh,
5: you know, and in the first half, one thing I noticed, um, when the Tennessee quarterback was pressured, he didn't throw the ball well. He threw over. He threw over one receiver's head. He threw one poorly outside. I think it bounced off the turf, and the other one was behind a receiver. So the three times he was pressured, he just didn't throw well out of the pocket. But we didn't pressure him in the second half. So consequently, he just kept on throwing. And so he's one of those guys that if he doesn't have pressure, he'll stand back there and just kill you. But if you put pressure on him, things change. We didn't get any pressure on him in the second half.
6: Well, and I bet if we went back and looked through almost all the annals of football, most of the time the pressured quarterback's not as accurate as the unpressured one. Well,
5: either. there are guys that don't throw well under pressure, and there are guys that can stand in there and deliver, you know, with people – Uh, bearing down on them i think i fall into the second category there i I could throw the ball with people bearing down on me just you know some people but some people just can't take the pressure and don't throw as well well
1: when we come back want to talk about speaking of pressure bryce young possibly becoming a number one overall pick and Derek hall from auburn where will he be projected as he was able to come and produce a little bit in the Reese's Senior Bowl. May not have had an opportunity to play, but at least he was able to get his interviews in and show himself as a true professional in showing up for the Reese's Senior Bowl. Talking Spring Football here on WNSP 105.5. We always love to hear from you. 251-694-1055 is how you can reach us here on Talking Spring Football.
4: Hey, this is AJ McCarron, and you're listening
0: to WNSP. Talking Spring Football continues on 105.5 FM and WNSP.com. Call in now at 694-1055 or join in the discussion on the WNSP app.
1: Talking Spring Football. Scott Hunter, Tracy Turner here. In the WNSP studio, and we were talking about getting ready for this April 27th draft. And, of course, you look at Bryce Young. He's definitely being talked about as an overall number one pick. Did the Carolina Panthers trade up with the Chicago Bears to get C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young? If you know the answer to that one, you're going to make a lot of money. Uh, because That's probably a
6: betting line. That, that. is
1: definitely a betting <laughs> yeah. line. And, of course, Auburn's Derek Hall, right from Gulfport, Mississippi, a definite heart and soul of this Auburn Tigers defense a year ago. And really, if you ask me, Derek Hall is one of those guys who didn't get enough pub for Auburn and what he was able to do for them a year ago. The same way Bryce Young, The flip side of Bryce Young receiving all the pub and Alabama fans, Scott, will they really know how much Bryce meant until he's gone? Is that that what it is? Because there's two or three games that I know for a fact Alabama does not win if you don't have a great quarterback like Bryce Young.
5: At the controls. Well, and that goes year to year to year. I mean, it's it's we're, that's where we are in college football now. It, it, there were years where you could have a so-called game manager and, and get by with a good defense, good running game, et cetera. But now, uh, in the type of games you're going to be playing today, like Tennessee and LSU this past year that Alabama lost, uh, you're going to have to put 35, 40, 45, maybe 50 points on the board uh, to win those kind of games that generally – now, generally, that, that takes uh, a top-notch quality quarterback. And so um, it, it really doesn't deviate any more from that for Alabama. If they're going to stay on top, which Coach Saban says they are, they're going to have to put a top-quality
6: quarterback out there that can operate. You know, Scott, some of the stuff from the NFL standpoint, too, you're not going to be perfectly healthy when you're playing 18 games every Sunday. And I think the NFL saw how Bryce was able to operate, if that's a word you want to use, uh, to in games where he wasn't 100%. He played a, three or four games when he was 80 75, 80%, I thought, but yet was still able to be successful. And that's in the NFL, that's important. I'm sure you played a number of games where you didn't feel like you were 100%. <laughs> so you come out of the training room on Monday
5: morning after you played the Bears the day before in Chicago, that crappy artificial turf they had back in that day. And I come out of there, four or five guys come limping out of there, you know, out of the training room. And and, uh, so I limp in, and one of the old veterans looks at you, and he doesn't say, oh, gosh, I bet that hurts. Or, oh, man, I bet you're sore. He says, He looks you in the eye, and he says, you're going to be ready to play the Lions Sunday. (laughs) That's the only thing that mattered. (laughs) That's the only thing that matters is be ready to play next Sunday. Mm -hmm.
1: That's how Bryce is. And, again, Mm -hmm. Derek Hall, Mm -hmm. just a difference maker for the Auburn Tigers defense. And he's projected maybe as an early second-round draft pick, and hopefully he'll be able to go into the first because, again, what that does – for your program the type of buzz that it generates around your program you 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 know what will anderson jr is going to bring to the table scott and you mentioned the fact that he dealt with double teams sometimes triple teams to chip them to find a way to slow his production down you to me NFL, mano a mano. I mean, it's man versus man. And I think that Will Anderson Jr., whether he goes top three, four, five, six, or seven, I still think that he's going to be a very
5: productive NFL player. And and it's a good point in in the NFL, unlike college, where you can concentrate on a player like Will Anderson and not, not let him dominate a game. There's no such thing in the NFL because they can all rush the passer uh, across the board. So you can't concentrate on their outside edge rusher. Uh, You can't concentrate on him because that left defensive end can bring it to So, consequently, when he gets to the NFL, I think he likely will have a better season this upcoming season with whoever drafts him, and they're going to play him at the edge rusher, obviously. He'll probably have a better season than he had at Alabama last year, and people will say, hey, what happened to him in Alabama? Yeah. Well, if he's playing for the – Bears or, or or the 49ers or or the Broncos. Yeah, again, he's not going to be double teamed and schemed. He's going to be able to bring it.
1: Well, one of the things too that I think that when you go up there and watch Alabama play next week, you know, outside of the quarterback position, Scott, to me, the secondary is really a focus. And what are we going to be able to do as far as rushing and getting after the quarterback? Because you just talked about how teams were able to double and triple team Will Anderson. Not able to find someone to be able to step into Will Anderson's spot. I think that Alabama definitely needs to, again, find that alpha dog. And I look forward to when you come back to say, who was that alpha guy that you saw calling the shots?
5: Well, I, I kind of hate to shoot a hole in you, but I'll find the alpha dog on defense and I'll make him the alpha puppy. I, I, okay. Because I'll put my best tackle in my tight end and my, you know, I'll put a back on him and one will cut him, one will go high, one will go low, and we'll take the alpha dog down to be an alpha puppy. And that's basically <laughs> what happened to Al, Anderson this yeah. last year. So, consequently, if you don't have three or four alpha dogs that I have to worry about, pass blocking uh, I got a great day in store uh, from a pass protection standpoint but if you got a guy that can come in the middle like Barmore was or Cody back in the day and you got a guy come from the other side you got a Will Anderson coming from this side uh, I got problems I got a scheme I got to get rid. I got to have a passing scheme where I get rid of the ball in a hurry I'm getting it out of my hand in 2.7 2.8 2.9 seconds I can't stand back there 4 or 4.5 and a half, and wait
6: on somebody to run open and you know what that does that takes double moves right out of the game double
5: moves right out of the game there's no Tennessee guy doing a double move down on the on the up guy and the safety and then busting free ain't none of that Uh, so that's uh, you know that's the way it's got to be treated if you will Nehemiah Pritchett on
1: the backside of Auburn's defense I think that he's going to have to step up and really show why he decided to return to Auburn. And
6: I think he wasn't satisfied with the way his personal season went last year.
1: I love it. And and when you do have that type of mentality, not only do you say, okay, we weren't as successful as we wanted to be as a team, but when the team's value goes up, So does my personal value because that means that we have achieved as a team overall. And I think that when you start looking at the evaluation process, Nehemiah Pritchett, we know what he's capable of. But him coming back to make that difference like a Roger McCreary Jr., I think that that's what Nehemiah Pritchett is looking to do.
6: Absolutely. And you know, he knows he's gonna get a lot of chances in Coach Roberts defense because he he likes to play aggressive so he likes to put people in position to get turnovers and interceptions and um, you know and I and I think Nehemiah wanted to play in that kind of system, so that'll be good for him. You know, back to Alabama, y'all talking about this. I think what Alabama's still looking for is another Jameson is it Williams? Yeah,
1: Jameson another
6: Williams. guy that can cause the safeties to have to stay back. And
5: uh, there's a Malik Benson on campus, I understand, his looks like Jameson Williamson. Getting through the safeties, uh, really taking people deep, and he may be the guy I think they have brought in to kind of mirror what Jameson Williams was able to
6: do. Well, that's what it looked looked like last year that was a little missing because – You saw it in the national championship game. The moment he got hurt, Georgia went up on the line. There are corners that were playing 10 off, and safeties back walked right up there and got right in the face and the whole tenor of the game changed and it changed the running
5: game because now they're up there doing run support so you would have had a 10 yard run now you get a four yard run because that safety is right up there in run support so absolutely that's what a guy like that can do for you is taking those safeties out of run support well you're exactly right
1: about malik benson probably the number one overall junior college prospect
5: coming to tuscaloosa well let's not say we're right now we might We hope we're right. We got to see if, you know, if he clicks in the fall.
1: Statistically speaking, when you look at what he was able to achieve, he's known as I'm going to be able to go and stretch the field vertically. I'm going to be able to be that guy that, like you said, a double move isn't necessary because I can just flat out burn you at the line of scrimmage. And I think that goes back to finding the continuity at quarterback, and who's it going to be? Because Scott, being a pocket passer versus being able to extend or stretch the play, I don't know if Alabama has the same type of quarterback because we I haven't seen enough of Miro, yes, I've seen enough of, because I, I've, I know what he's doing against SEC type talent.
5: But, Ty, I haven't seen him well, enough to know what he's capable of doing. You've you got a point there, but you can't draw a, a definition line between pocket passer and out of the pocket. Now you've got to be both. Absolutely. I agree. Third and eight, got to sit in the pocket and deliver a strike. Um, sometimes on third and eight, nobody's open. you got to move a little bit, extend the play, buy some time, and hit a guy. Uh, that's coming off a route and breaks his route and, and so forth. So, it's a combination of both of them in today's offensive football.
1: When we come back from this last break on talking spring football, we'll talk about the conclusion of Auburn spring and whether going into the summer and the fall. Auburn is where – Auburn wants to be needs to be and expects to be and of course Alabama with another 12 days before the 22nd and having an opportunity to finish up their spring practice as well talking spring football here on WNSP 105.5 taking your phone calls 251-694-1055
6: Right, this is Jake Peavy, MLB pitcher and Mobile, Alabama native. You're listening to 105.5 WNSP.
0: Talking Spring Football continues on 105.5 FM and WNSP.com. Call in now at 694-1055 or join in the discussion on the WNSP app.
1: Talking Spring Football here on WNSP 105.5 and we were off the air and a little bit of breaking news there for former Alabama and Tennessee fans. Jeremy Pruitt, a name that's synonymous with college football from a defensive standpoint, is going to go back into college coaching, Scott, as an assistant coach at Florida State.
5: Defensive coordinator at, and, at Florida State. A, a, and so.
1: that's huge when you start talking yep. about for the Seminoles and the show claws, not knowing what that situation he must have been cleared uh, because if not, he's going to get some great hands-on training with the Florida State defense because there's no doubt he can coach as an assistant. I don't think it worked out for him for numerous reasons as a head coach, but happy Y'all, for Coach Pruitt. Yeah,
5: Jeremy's a terrific defensive coordinator and he will do a great job at Florida State. At
6: Auburn. Hadn't he been at Florida State? He was at Georgia? He was at Alabama? I don't
5: think he's ever been at Florida State to my knowledge. No, I don't think so. Uh, He was
6: at Georgia, right?
5: Yeah, went to Georgia. And, of course, Tennessee is a head coach. um, But I don't know. I don't think he's been to Florida State before. And who's the head cut, Mike Norville. Norville, Mm -hmm. And
1: this is – I mean, he did an outstanding job just trying to get that Florida State program turned around, and that's huge from the the fact that you're getting a quality name that's going to be able to help you. But the Auburn Tigers finished up their 8 day game, and Hugh Freeze was waiting for the 15th to come so he can go ahead and get in the transfer portal and get guys on campus. But, Tracy, overall – Is Auburn where you kind of expected it to be from an overall standpoint from a program, from recruiting, from what you were able to see them bring in early, what you saw on the field, not just in the 8A game, but leading up to it because that's not a great value there, the 8A game, the rain and being 52 degrees. But are you pleased as a former Auburn man yourself with what you saw and looking forward going into the fall to where Auburn can surpass six or seven wins?
6: Well, they have to have a quarterback that can complete 60% of the throws at least. As I've said, he doesn't have to be uh, 40 and three like uh, Young was, but if he could be 25 and 10 and complete 60% of his throws, then Auburn can be competitive. And, and, can, and can have a, a decent year. But you can't have your quarterback completing 49% of the throws. I mean, Auburn gets embarrassed and loses by 25 or 30 against Alabama, and they ran for 300 yards. You know, you've got to have some passing game semblance. You just can't line up and do it. So, uh, I think they've improved. There's no question they've improved on the offensive line. Okay, I I think even the most non-objective person, you know, not an Auburn fan would say, yeah, Auburn's offensive line is better than it was. Now, is it good enough to go to Baton Rouge? Is it good enough to contend against Georgia at home? Uh, Is it good enough to contend against Alabama at home? Is it good enough to beat the Mississippi schools at home? You know, we'll see. Is it good enough to go to Happy Valley and not get embarrassed? You know, there'll be a new quarterback up there. They lost a lot of players too. Uh, Auburn don't they go up there again this year? No, I guess not. I want to say they don't. don't. I, but they got I, something the third game of the year. Is, uh, road maybe
1: trip. am I I know that they open with UMass.
6: So for sure. Anyway, that that's the question. Are they improved enough?
5: Scott Nick well, Saban uh, you know what Hugh what, Freeze's goal should be as good as the brand-new Auburn Culinary and, and Restaurant Center that Jimmy Rain and my friend <laughs> Kathy Cobb are funding because I understand the restaurant that with that, that thing is fantastic up there. So just want to get that plug in for By Kathy way, Cobb. By the way, he was the
6: defensive coordinator of Florida State when they won the national championship in 2013.
1: Okay, got that. And, yeah. and here's the thing, Scott. Will Nick Saban – be as calm as he was talking to the media after this second live <laughs> scrimmage because he was really laid back and had a lot of positive things to say offensively and
5: defensively that's scary
1: it is really scary that's saving scary to yeah, me setting this up to, to lay the <laughs> hammer on where he
5: feels they need to improve well when you got a young team uh and sort of a, a brand new kind of inexperienced team unlike last year and the year before you kind of have to maybe not be as uh, hair on fire with them, if you know what I mean. Well, looking forward to
1: next week's Talkin' Spring Football. Scott Hunter, Tracy Turner here, always Tuesdays from 5 to 6. And Appreciate bring you bring us some about
6: that quarterback battle now.
1: <laughs> hey, we'll bring it home next week. We'll have another edition of Talkin' Spring Football here on WNSP. All right.